This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Happy Thursday to you. Only one more day before Christmas weekend. Oh, before Festivus. Yes. Eve. It's Festivus, Christmas Eve. Yeah. So exciting. There's so much. There's just, it's like a holiday festival. How so? Every day, a different holiday. Really? Yeah. If you look deeply, you can get, you'll have, uh, you'll be able to have Hanukkah. Mm. You'll be able to have Christmas, Festivus. Kwanzaa kicks in at some Kwanzaa point. Kwanzaa will kick in somewhere. Then a New Year's. You know, by the time we know it, we'll be at, on Valentine's Day. Right. Celebrating all the great saints. Hmm? 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 What? Don't, Say, forget, don't forget the celebration of the Super Bowl. That's going to be huge. Oh, yeah. That'll be big. Yeah. Uh, BYU won their bowl game. Yay. It was almost like they were about to lose it at the end. Such a boring game. It was raining. Ah, it looked miserable. I, I love listening to the uh, guys on TV trying to... Uh, how did I express to my wife? Lipstick on a pig was kind of the, oh, the try appropriate. Oh, pretty it up, you mean? <laughs> you know, they're like, wow, this is going to be a just a fight to the end. I love the defensive struggle. I go, because the offenses can't complete a pass. <laughs> All right. There was a pretty cool catch in the end zone that, like, I think bounced between three yeah. or four people. It was a ricochet. Ah, uh, those are the best kind. Yeah. I loved, bing, 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 I loved coming out of uh, Star Wars last night, looking at the score at the end of the third quarter and reala- realizing I hadn't missed much. That's right. <laughs> Yeah. Like, wow, that was... I mean, of all times to choose to go to Star Wars, right in the middle of the bowl game. Yeah. But again, you didn't miss much. No. First half we, was very slow and wet. We were making a stand. Mm. We were saying we'd rather sit in reclined seats with a bucket of popcorn well, and a cherry Coke. Well, really? Wow, you went, you went out on the limb there. How many bowl games are there? Do you know? 500? There's 41 bowl games. Now, uh, when I was born, 1977, there were 11. Did you hear what Nick Saban said? No. Because everyone's frustrated that these players are not even going to play in their bowl games. There's two of them, yes. And Nick said, well, then don't make a priority of bowl games. Yes. The minute you put it a, a championship game, you just said that the other 40 don't, don't matter. matter. <laughs> At all, yeah. So that's why they're not playing. Don't blame the kids. Blame, the, blame yeah. your committee. Which is pretty gutsy. And last year, a player uh, was hurt. He decided to play, got hurt. And if you looked at his projected NFL draft position versus where he actually went, yeah, he lost around $19 million. Wow. So, yeah. That's why I'm not playing a bowl game. Right. That's why I'm sitting out. I don't want to lose $19 million. <laughs> I don't think that would be a problem today. Hey, we've got a lot to talk about. That was good sports talk. Good job. Yeah, good good sports talk. A little sports section there. Um, one of the things that we are going to talk about in a few minutes is Santa Claus has a hotline. He does. And he's we're going to have him call in on the show today. It's going to be great. It's fantastic. And I think he's going to call Jeff. Really? Yeah, because, yeah. Don't you think that he could call Jeffrey because Jeffrey has a real close connection with Santa. And Jeffrey's probably... Maybe he's not on the nice list this year. Could be. What's the connection? We both wake up early in the morning and deliver presents? You both put your pants on two legs at a time. 
Except when I put my pants on, I make gold records. I really? gotta have more cowbell. <laughs> Give me more cowbell. Uh, we're gonna let you talk to Santa. I just thought of this. It's brilliant. It's a, it's an app that you can use to have Santa call your child. Mm. So I'm thinking, let's have him call you because you didn't know, you don't know how it works. Well, I I do have a few last minute items that I'd love to squeeze in. Well, so let's maybe see, let's see what he says. You, usually, Santa does most of the talking. Yeah, it's kind of a uh, one way conversation. Uh, I mean. Yeah, don't, don't. Santa's busy. He's not here to talk to every single child. He will make the phone call. Yeah, but it has some limits. And don't think, yeah, don't think you've got. You can ask him a lot of questions. Do you think he could help me with a landlord dispute? No, <sighs> but he. You might want to maybe put your landlord on the naughty list, <laughs> or your ex landlord, whatever, what have you. We will also be talking um, with a professor about term limits. Is it time that we basically? Shut down the length of time a, con- a person can be in Congress. We do it with the presidency. They are only allowed so many terms. Two. We probably ought to say let's, let's allow Congress only one term. I think our electors in the Electoral College need term limits. They, they are pretty much. They they're, they're, they, pretty, they're pretty much done. One at a time. One election at a time, right? Almost everyone is dictated. They can't go in there and do what they want, so – I don't know how big of a deal that is. It seems more of a ceremonial situation. I watched some of those from like the, the Philadelphia legislature did it, and you're just like, this is so boring. Well, the man from, you know, Nantucket or not Nantucket, you know, and just you fall asleep because yeah. it's this, it's this yeah. primary, who if, cares? If Donald's going to drain the swamp, he might nope. need to set some term limits. I think he's moving away from that terminology. We'll talk about that later. Well, it's because he's, yeah, he's in the swamp now. Says it's not per- not necessarily presidential to talk about swamps and alligators anymore. Oh, are you what? We'll talk about it. It's coming up. Hold on. I know he's picking up his game. Uh, maybe, Allegedly. according to someone who alleges to have inside knowledge. Oh man, this is great news. Okay, well we will get to all that fun and uh, plus just a fun show. But first, let's get to the headlines. Terry South, what's going on around the rest of the country? President-elect Donald Trump has not exactly been clear about what he wants in a ban. He's talking about banning Muslims. Not sure what that means from the U.S. or putting them in a registry or if the whole controversy has just been one giant suggestion. Kind of like draining the swamp and locking up Hillary Clinton. Nevertheless, following the terrorist attacks at a Christmas market in Berlin on Monday, Trump told reporters in regards to creating a Muslim ban or registry, he said, You know my plans. Even though no one really does know his plans. No, tell Trump us. has flip-flopped on his proposed ban in the past, both doubling down on it and walking it back. His team has also denied that Trump would actually create a registry for Muslims. He walked out yesterday out of Mar-a-Lago, and that's when he said, I'm, I'm right. They had another terrorist attack. I've been correct on this all along. And you know my plans. Everyone was still asking questions, so we'll see what happens. Interesting. In an effort to repeal HB2, a North Carolina so-called bathroom bill, has come to a halt in a bipartisan deal. North Carolina legislators agreed that if the city of Charlotte would repeal its LGBT protection laws, state lawmakers would repeal the bathroom bill. Oh, good. On Wednesday, Charlotte lawmakers agreed to repeal their non-discrimination laws in exchange for the repeal of this statewide bill. But on Wednesday evening, Republican lawmakers refused to hold up their side of the bargain and instead attempted to pass new terms for the repeal. North Carolina's House adjourned Wednesday night with the bathroom bill still in effect. Again, term limits. Which has cost them $400 million in 
revenue for the state. Colorado's Deputy Secretary of State has referred uh, a false elector to the state's Attorney General for potential charges. Denver electoral elector uh, Michael Baca attempted to vote for uh, Ohio Governor John Kasich on Monday in defiance of the state's popular vote for Hillary Clinton. Colorado electors swear an oath to cast their ballot for the candidate with the highest popular vote. Electors who vote against the state's winner are subjected to misdemeanor charges. And uh, Baca did not successfully cast his ballot. He was replaced by an elector who did vote for Clinton. The attorney general's office will decide whether he faces charges wow. or not. That's getting serious. Don't it's lucky mess. he didn't get tased. Don't mess with the process. And finally, a poll has found the most annoying word or phrase used in casual conversations in this country. The most annoying word yes. used in casual conversations in this, wor- in this country, I would say um, literally. Whatever. Oh, that Whatever. Is, uh, Whatever. The Marist College poll released Wednesday indicates the uh, word irritates 38% of Americans. Man. The AP reports the pollster offered up five options for the most annoying word or phrases. Duh. Whatever. Yeah. No offense, but. Yeah. You know, right? Mm. That one's annoying. Um, I can't even. And huge. Huge. <laughs> you know what else is annoying? What? That ain't nothing. Like when you're telling a story and oh, yeah, somebody feels like nothing. they have a better one. You oh, that that's bad. Yeah, that means. Can I? I'm about to one up you. Shut your caker. Listen to how many people say yeah no. Yeah no. They go yeah no, and then go on with what. Isn't yeah no a fruit? Could be. Ooh, I would say that is probably the most annoying thing that I've heard. Is yeah no. People are thinking. <laughs> they say yes. And then follow yeah. with the no and keep talking. And then you're confused mm. as to what they're trying to say. I say it. I, I catch myself saying it from time to time. And really? Like, yeah, no. Um, and then you don't know where to go with the conversation. Anyway. So, yeah, fun stuff. Whatever. Whatever. Oh, that's such a teenager thing. Whatever, Dad. Don't whatever, Dad, me. <laughs> hey, that ain't nothing. <laughs> you know? Right. Hey, um, you, you all know who John Williams is? John I, I, Williams. Have a, I have a cousin. Oscar-winning composer, oh, John one. Williams. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't like watching Star Wars. I saw this last night, yeah. He uh-huh. writes the score, yeah. doesn't watch the movie. Nope. But, which is kind of false, because I've seen him recording the score, and they have the movie on the wall because he's trying to time yeah. sort of what the, the flourishes and you know, all, mm-hmm. all the different parts of the song Crescendo. with what's happening on the screen. Yeah. So he's seen most of the movie. Yeah. He's seen it, but he's seen it in his studio. Yeah. Is he's, that why he doesn't score the new movies? Probably not. They probably can't afford him. No. He's, he's huge. Uh, by the way, I appreciate how you're playing... Uh, Star Battle. Stars Battles. Stars Battles. Mm. Uh, not written or composed by John Williams. This is Don Williams. This is Don, John's brother. Don Williams, the lesser known. Sued by John. Yeah. So they don't have a very good relationship. Yeah, they have an estranged relationship. Well, you know what? This song, Don, Not to Be Rude, nothing like John Williams. No. I mean, John's got the goods. Don, eh. not the same. <laughs> I'll bet you Don watches Star Wars, though. Right. Freak. Poor Don Williams. Hey, uh, 
what other headlines do we need to focus on? There's so many things we could talk about. We've already done our our sports bump. Yeah, Kellyanne uh, Conway lands a job at, in the White House. She's she'll be the chief counselor. Counselor, so she's going to do psychotherapy, right? And she went on TV this morning talking about the her her new position. Is Trump going to have any sort of press conferences? Talk about the Muslim ban because Trump said last night in some horrible audio because no one had a microphone close to him that you know you know my plan even though nobody really knows his plan. You know my plan. No, we really we don't know play, your plan. Play clip two. This is Kellyanne Conway on ABC this morning. He said during the campaign, long after he had originally proposed that, that this would be more strictly tied to countries where we know they have a history of terrorism, and that this is not this is not a complete ban. Well, so not a complete ban. It's not a complete ban. That should settle all the fears of Muslim Americans across well, the country. No problem. Hold on, though. Um, Ireland, Northern Ireland. Yeah. History of terrorism. It's a different kind of terrorism. Oh, okay. That's more religious based. I mean, a lot of countries in Central America. Hmm. Yeah. That, that's a little different. Yeah. Has to do with drugs. Uh-huh. It's different. Uh, North Korea, South Korea, of course. It's still more political than mm. than terrorism. Vietnam, Vietnong. Um, we're well, that's beyond now. We have oh, an okay. open relationship with that we're country now. Pretty so. much the entire Middle East. Well, yeah, but again, yeah, for the, sure, the Muslim men would take care of that. Africa, yeah, Northern Africa, and it's not a complete ban. It's not a complete. Ban. Oh, South Africa, right. they've had terrorism. Well, it's different. Again. It's a different. It's it's an old terrorism. This, is, yeah, he's talking about the new terrorism, right? But you know my plan. So again, confusion. No. It makes perfect sense. And and then the, the reporter talking to her says, would a press conference possibly clear some of this up? Since he hasn't had a press conference in 40-something like, well, days. Yeah, exactly. That's why we're not doing this. And uh, she talked about that of clip three. We're about to announce our press secretary, our communications director, more of our senior communications team. This will be a traditional White House in the sense that you will have a great deal of press availability on a daily basis. And you'll have a president who can, continues to be engaged with the press. Um. That, that seems like it was different than what Reince Priebus was saying because he was saying there's going to be big changes. Yeah, he wants to change the whole system. At least that's what he said. Some sacred cows, things that we used to do with the press, maybe we're not going to do anymore. Because apparently the daily press conference started – I heard some people talk about it started with Reagan. Maybe it started with you know one of the two Bushes. It just yeah. – it was a process that started and it's become a thing, but it's not something that needs to happen, a daily yeah. press conference. So we'll just let that go. And we don't need to have the press trailing the president all day. Right. But she's saying there's going to be tons of opportunity for press availability, a very engaged president with the media. And they all have Twitter. It's not like they won't be up to date. Right. He's, I mean. But you can't ask the question back because there's Well, no, they can. He'd just be one of two million people responding. Right. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. It's going to be a great year. Just, just like President Obama said, it'll be the most open, mm-hmm. transparent transparent White House, except this White House hasn't been. And yeah. I have no idea what the next one will be. I, You know what I will tell you? It will be different mm. than President Obama's. Yes, it will. That I'll give you. That's, that's a given. Uh, by the way, I forgot to th- say this. Um, who is President Trump's secretary – uh, elect, I guess we're calling him or whatever, of energy. Rick Perry. Rick Perry. He has a, he has a lot of energy. Have you seen him on Dancing with the Stars? He's jumping that's around, it. doing the can-can. I it, think he it's did. probably the first cabinet member ever that's been on Dancing with the Stars. Right. I mean, this is huge. But why, not, why isn't anybody talking about the, that? The fifth most annoying word, according to the survey. Good job. 
Not the first person. <laughs> not you know? the first person to be on a reality television show, though. No, that's old hat. Well, no, he's the yeah, he's the president. Has been on a reality TV show and Rick Perry. I guess is that a reality TV show? Plus, yes, another yes. cabinet member or another member of his administration, uh, small business association, right? Scripted TV, yeah, with the WWE, yeah. yeah. <laughs> She's been body slammed. Pardon? She got, she was body slammed at Hold I think on. it was a Monday Night Raw when Triple H picked her up and just really yeah it's, they're on YouTube. Vince McMahon, owner of WWE, e. because the World Wildlife he, Federation, he sued. allowed his wife to be body slammed. Well, yeah, there was a whole storyline back in the '90s where the family was fighting, and and she's I, I played a, a clip of you were I think he was when you were sick. It was she yeah. comes on and she's like, "This is so weird." Last night in this ring, my husband body slammed my daughter. Wow. And then they show the clip. It's amazing. You know what? DCFS. They're going to get called. What's the difference between WWE and WWF? Well, and one's WWE, an e, w. one's w. Well, it's the same and thing. one's a website. Originally, right. WWF, they were sued by the World Wildlife Federation <laughs> because they said we had the name first. So then the WWF Wrestling had to change their name to World Wrestling Entertainment, which is WWE. And then WWW... That's the that's the internet. So, oh. It's the interweb. Uh, okay, it's there, worldwide. There was also the WCW World Championship Wrestling mm-hmm. that was mostly on like TBS. And that, now there's the CW. And, now, and then there's the CW, which is a TV network. And George W. And then there's okay. George W. There are lots of W's going yeah. on. It's complicated, but that's why we're here. We're here to help. We're here to help you cut through all the chaos. And uh, we will take a break. But when we come back, we're going to be talking about uh, limiting terms in Congress. If you have a 16% or even lower, uh, you know, likability rating in this in this country, maybe it's time that you, you just get out of Congress. We rotate people through. We'll be talking with a professor who's been doing research on it. He's got some pretty killer insight on it. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, hashtag drain the swamp is the very first reform proposal listed on President-elect Donald Trump's contract with the American voter. The hashtag drain the swamp is Trump's promise to enact term limits on Congress and stop career politicians from clogging up and slowing down the political system. What would it take to actually enact uh, term limits? Will term limits actually help America progress? Here to help us today with these uh, questions is Dr. Thad Kauser, a professor of political science at UC San Diego. Dr. Kauser, welcome to the show. Thanks for being with us. Thanks so much for having me. Good morning. Good morning. What do you – I mean, we hear term limits. I've heard it mentioned for much of my 46 years of life. I don't – it doesn't seem like it's it's – Anything that that a lot of the politicians really want to ever enact on themselves is when we talk about term limits, is there really is it ever going to happen? Well, now. 
national term limits uh, are, are the toughest trick to enact because they require politicians to, to vote to, to end their careers in a, in a very short time, right? And that's why it failed as part of – so this was a part of Newt Gingrich's contract with America in 1994, which very much is, is echoed in, in this 2016 promise by, by President-elect Trump. Uh, and, and what happened in 1994 was, was that there were some members of Congress who were willing to vote for it. it actually got a majority support, but, but of course, to amend the U.S. Constitution, that takes both the supermajority pa- passage in Congress as well as, uh, as well as in the states, and, and you couldn't get the required supermajority. Um, the next thing that, that, that Newt Gingrich's sort of revolutionary Republicans did is they asked members of Congress to take a, uh, a pledge to voluntarily leave office. Mm. Uh, many did. Some held to that pledge, and a few didn't. Uh, there was this one guy, George Nethercutt of Washington, very powerful member, and, and they accused him of weaseling out of the pledge, and, and, and his campaigns forevermore were dogged by people dressed up as weasels. But <laughs> politicians don't like it, uh, whereas in the states where voters can act directly, uh, many states have passed term limits. Okay, now help us with the argument behind it. What are the arguments for term limits? And against uh, establishing term limits, it's I mean even Orrin Hatch, who I think is eighty years old, um, is thinking of running again. And I'm thinking, you know, you've been in there a long time, but his argument is simply, it's hey, I've got experience now. Yeah, so the, the arguments for term limits go back to, to ancient Athens, where one of the Athenian legislatures actually enacted this very short term limit uh, of just one term, and Aristotle argued that each should in turn serve over all. So the idea was you pass laws and then you go out and live under them, uh, and, and we freshen up you know, drain the swamp in Donald Trump's terminology, or, or just freshen up politics by bringing in new people who have who have been working in active careers, who who understand the effects of laws, and and are not a, a system of leaders set apart from the the body politic. Um, so it's an argument against career politicians, mm. right? And it's an argument for bringing new ideas and and new faces into into legislatures. The arguments in favor is that politics is a craft, and it's really hard to do, and we want people who know how it works. Um, Orrin Hatch is, is a senator who's incredibly experienced, has a lot of expertise on, on, on a huge number of issues, and also that voters know him and know what he stands for. Right. So they know Predictable. Yeah. Buying when they vote for him. They have a personal relationship. You know, one of the things you see after tournaments is voters are much less likely to know who their legislator is, much less likely to contact him, and those legislators, because they're not motivated by re-election to, to serve their constituents, they spend less of their time doing constituent concert service, doing outreach to constituents. So it's a trade-off of experience versus fresh perspectives, uh, but, but it also brings uh, other changes to, to, to state legislatures. What a novel idea that they would actually, they would have power to make these changes, then they would be out of power and have to go live them. Yes. Yes, although, you know, people live in different worlds, and, and one of the things that we've seen with term limits, which were passed in, in 21 states in, in the early 1990s, few have gotten rid of them, few have had them thrown out by their courts, so they're, they're in place in 15 states. One thing we've seen is that in none of these states do politicians just simply go back to the farm, go back to a teaching <laughs> job. Yeah. You know, you can't take one, one of the, in, in Oregon, the, the term limits initiative is called LIMIT. So it was this acronym for let incumbents mosey into the sunset, <laughs> uh, like the Marlboro Man. But they didn't do that, right? They got jobs. If you look just about every state legislature, they got, they got, they ran for another office. 
Congress, county supervisor, the other house of the state legislature. Um, they got jobs in the governor's administration. They became lobbyists. They, people mm. get the bug, and they want to affect policy, and they, they stick around in, in, in D.C. or in Salt Lake City or, or yeah. in Sacramento after term limits. I guess this is the, that, that's part of the argument why we may need them out of there. Because <laughs> they, I mean, like General Mattis, I guess, would have to go through some um, they don't. There's a law or a rule against generals serving within seven years in in the government position. That's a term limit. Base. I mean, it's it's basically a requirement of how quickly they can move from one sector to the other. Why Why didn't the founding fathers put term limits um, in the Constitution? Yeah. So it, the term limits were actually in the first U.S. Constitution or the first U.S. government under the Articles of Confederation. Hmm. Uh, they had this thing, idea called rotation in office. You couldn't serve more than two terms in Congress. In Philadelphia, the, the term, this, the idea came up and was debated that the founding fathers. Now, these were all career politicians. Most of them, they had, they'd served in, in state colonial in colonial legislatures that became state legislatures. They valued that expertise. Uh, they were they were not populists. They were not fans of direct democracy. They they understood that that, that statesmanship was a craft that you had to learn. Uh, so, and they also wanted to have a strong enough legislature to stand up against the president. Right. This right. Was the, the worry about having a king, and that the biggest effect that we've seen across states that have term limits is. The governor becomes more and more like a monarch, right? Yeah. Uh, the legislatures, you know, as you're cycling these people through, they just don't have the experience and the expertise to stand up to to the governor, and and, and she's often able to uh, to if you look at um, if you look at how much of the budget the legislature changes of the governor, gov- legislatures change far less of the budget. They're much more of a rubber stamp after term limit. If you survey. Legislators, if you ter- survey state house reporters, if you survey lobbyists, everybody says there's a shift in power hmm. from the legislative branch to the executive branch, and that's that's the biggest effect of term limits. So you know, for Donald Trump, right? That Let's would, do it. That would be a good thing. Anybody, yeah. right? For Barack Obama, that would be a good thing, right? In their personal power. So it's the question is, which of these branches do you do you trust the most, and do you want to take them out of balance? Have Have you seen? Is there a state that has term limits at the state level? Yes. So there are 15 states that have it. They're mostly in the West because those are the states where we have the initiative process where you can directly impose this. So California's legislature, uh, California is one of the first states to do it and the first state to implement it. And I actually worked as a legislative staffer for the first couple of years uh, when half of the state assembly was new. But you also see it uh, in uh, uh, Oregon had it and then got rid of it. Uh, but, but you see it in, in places like Arizona and places like Michigan, Ohio, lots of term limits spread out all across the country to give us a real basis of knowledge for, for investigating their effects. Do we sense or is there any research showing that it actually improves legislation, it improves the functioning of government, or does it only improve the power to the governor? Yeah, well, well here's, here's what it does. Uh, and there's a ton of research. So I've, I've written a couple books on the topic, but scholars all across the nation have, have written books, done intensive case studies, done archival research. Uh, and, and we've looked at sort of three things. Does it change who goes to state capitals? Does it change what happens in state capitals? And does it change what comes out of state capitals? Um, on the first one, there's, there's some good news for term limits. Uh, so 
So term limits kind of freshen up the legislature, brings in younger legislators, people who, who are, are more likely to come from outside careers rather than, uh, rather than being staff, you know, former legislative staff. And, and it helps in states that have sort of some growing minority population, some population that's, you know, rising but, but is represented by, by sort of the older version of that state, the old uh, ethnic or, or, or uh, old population. Um, that new group, those new faces are able to more quickly show up in the state legislature because it kind of clears out all these open seats, gets rid of incumbents. And so areas with Latino populations or Asian-American populations more quickly able to, to elect someone of their choosing to, to the office. Um, That's, I guess, too, historically they've been, they've been without term limits, they just gerrymander the districts. I, with or without term limits. Yeah. <laughs> that's a lot of, that hasn't changed. That's either. not, that's going on anyway. Yeah. Because that's interesting. Um, I mean, you, you could be, you could have a representative that has been in for so long, but they don't necessarily represent the, the changes of the district. Yeah. Uh, that could be, my first... that's hard. Yeah, when I first came to the California legislature, uh, there was a gentleman, wonderful old state senator uh, named Ralph Dills, who's like who represented South Central Los Angeles, which is you know very everyone knows that that's sort of where gangster rap came from, a very ethnically diverse area. He had first been elected in the 1930s and served on and off for a long time. So this is a wonderful legislator, is this kind of great guy who nobody could throw out. But but he was a white guy representing a very diverse area. But they, they didn't want to throw him out because that would be kind of like, you know, voting out your grandfather. Yeah. Um, but he was term limited, and that created this open seat, and he was, he was then replaced by, by, by an African-American legislator who, who arguably had a sort of closer connection to hmm. that community. Powerful. So, so one of the good sides about term limits is, is that, that freshening up and that it keeps a state up with the demographics of a district. Um, another thing is that legislators, so I told you earlier that legislators are less likely to say to focus on their district after term limits um, because they don't have that direct electoral connection. They don't have to go back to those voters. Right. But they're a little bit more likely to say, I'm just going to care about what's best for the state overall. You know, because maybe they're running for statewide office or they just sort of view that they can kind of take this trustee relationship with their voters rather than having to be a delegate who just votes what their district wants. Oh, true. That's interesting. Um, Yeah, because they'd start playing to the next opportunity. Yeah, the next opportunity. Or they're, you know, they're just free to kind of vote their conscience a little bit more rather than voting their district because they don't have to run for Mm. re-election. Interesting. All right. We're speaking with uh, Dr. Thad Kauser. He is walking us through the the complicated concept of congressional term limits and limiting any limitation on our Congress might be, you know, something a lot of people are crying for today. He uh, is a professor of political science at the department and department chair at UC San Diego. We'll continue the discussion in just a moment. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you lead healthier, happier lives. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking about congressional term limits. It's a, it has been a promise of uh, from President-elect Donald Trump as part of his contract uh, to hashtag drain the swamp. Uh, but can it happen? Will it happen? It's a, oh, 
it seems like he might want it because simply it creates the opportunity to 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 build a stronger president uh, and a, maybe a weaker legislature. Joining us on the phone, Dr. Thad Kauser is with us. He is um, a professor of political science and department chair at UC San Diego. He studies um, the American and state national politics, government reform, direct democracy, and he is the author and co-author of many books, including The Logic of American Politics and Term Limits and the Dismantling of State Legislative Professionalism. Dr. Kauser, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. So it's, uh, the president has a term limit. Um, what I mean, I mean, he's got two terms is all he gets. What was why did they make that distinction with the president? Well, we were worried about having a king, right? So this was this this norm that George Washington, this example that he set uh, for presidents, and and then it was institutionalized after Franklin Delano Roosevelt kind of you know, stayed stayed for four terms. Uh, and you might think, okay. Legislative term limits would just kind of even the playing field, right? If the president can't be there for long, why why should legislators be there for for that long? Uh, and I think that the argument in favor of, of not making these these two things uh, symmetric is, is that look, presidents have this huge apparatus of government yeah. to help them in 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 their negotiations with Congress, and they also are the unchallenged leader of their. Uh, of their branch, right? Whereas uh, if you keep cycling through new members of Congress, if they're serving only six years, which is sort of the way most of these state legislative term limits work, you know, people just don't have the, they don't have the time or expertise to develop uh, that, ex- uh, the, the time to develop that expertise, and they don't have all the huge staff of the federal government, so they just, they're at this fundamental disadvantage with a governor, with a president or a governor who has all that staff. Plus, who's in charge of the legislature? Right? Legislative leaders become much less powerful after term limits because instead of being those folks who have been there day in and day out and the people who can offer carrots and sticks in the future in order to keep their caucus in line so they can kind of get together, settle on one position, and, and fight for it, instead the, the, level, the playing field is leveled all across the legislature. Everyone's new. No one has to worry about carrots and sticks in the future. No one gets in line. And you have this kind of chaotic herding cat's house. Mm trying to stand up to an executive branch and, and losing more often than not. Mm. Do you think it would change the popularity levels of our politicians? Um, would having term limits, you know, turn the, the what do we call it, the, turn the stew enough to, to make sure that, that we're not all so frustrated with Congress? Yeah, I don't think anything is going to make Congress. Uh, <laughs> it's not going to happen, is it? <laughs> any more popular than it is today? We we haven't seen any big effect on this in, in the states uh, where the you know state po- popularity of politicians rises and falls with how the economy's doing, uh, and and turmoil hasn't brought any big effect. Um, and in some ways, you just you just don't get to know these folks, right? Mm-hmm. You don't have that connection. You know, the part of the the, the founders' idea. Right, James Madison's idea is you know, pol- pol- you know politicians aren't saints. You have to you have to tie them, tie their interests to the voters' interests, and an election and re-election is the way to create that link. And term limits very explicitly severs that link, uh, and, and that makes it harder for 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 legis- voters to really get a legislator to do exactly what they want. It's um, oh, there's so many parts of this that are frustrating. <laughs> Because, like, to a, 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 a congressperson, um, federal, you have to 
they're running every two years. So the money they have to – it seems like they're constantly engaged in fundraising and money generating to pay for their next run. Do we ever – do we need to extend their terms? Do we need to do – do you see other things that you would propose about um, – if, if we're going to fix it anyway – should we extend terms of Congress people and then implement term limits? Well, I think the, the, the two-house solution that we have now, whereas these members of Congress are, uh, of, the, of, the, of the House are always running, but, but members of, of the Senate aren't, and they get that breathing room, mm. uh, that can help. Uh, you know, I think there are a lot of uh, parts of campaign finance reform where rather than just you know, the, the problem is not that they're raising money, because in some ways money, if someone gives you money, it shows that you think they're doing a good yeah. job. Um, but the fact that the people who have the money to give to politicians are located, are the lobbyists in D.C., right. the, the people in the financial centers of New York and San Francisco, those are the only places that politicians, you know, are spending their, their weekends raising money. There are lots of ideas for sort of giving everyone small credits that they could, uh, that they could give to politicians mm equalizes the playing field of, of the supply of money in politics. Oh, interesting. So, well, yeah. I mean, the neat, the neat thing about having all of these lobbyists is the fact that when if we do implement term limits, all of these Congress people can then go be lobbyists. Yeah, they, they can, <laughs> uh, and they have in, in, in many states, um, partly because they just sincerely love public affairs. Yeah, they want to be in there. Issues and, and want to stay in the game, right? And, and also, so one of the things with term limits is that there's no clear evidence that lobbyists have gotten, as a whole, have gotten any more or less powerful. Uh, so in, there have been lots of studies that look at that, and they see sort of no change in the overall lobbyist power. What, what, what I've heard in lots of interviews with lobbyists and, and politicians is that there's sort of a shift in which lobbyists are powerful. It used to have some, lobbyists used to depend on their relationships with legislators, mm. you know? They're golfing buddies, or maybe they were just that you know, you know, person working for a small, you know, nonprofit, but they had a great reputation. Everyone trusted them, knew they were an expert. Those relationships are all gone with term limits. Right? They cycle out every few years, and so it's really the groups that have a lot of lobbyists and a lot of money that they can throw at all these new members uh, that that have benefited from term limits, and that's that's a possible problem. Yeah. What uh, so if if this were going to happen and um, Donald Trump was going to keep his word and we were going to you know get term limits, how does it actually how would it need to take place? Because uh, it seems like a, a conflict of interest to have Congress voting on their own term limits. Right, you know it is, but that's built into the American system of of how you amend the Constitution. Uh, you know the evidence that's a conflict of interest is is almost all the states with, with the initiative process right that could bypass legislators almost all those states got term limits mm. at least initially and almost none of the states with with uh, you know without the initiative process just about everywhere you know uh, that didn't give the voters that gave politicians the control they said no thanks no thanks just as Congress did in 1994. Um, so you'd have to get super majorities in 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 in, uh, in, in Congress, and then uh, and then the the, the super majorities of, of states need to ratify any constitutional amendment. That's a tough trick, right? We've only seen since the Bill of Rights 17 constitutional amendments. Mm. Um, you know, it would take a huge amount of political capital on the part of, of Donald Trump to, to get members of Congress who don't want to do this to go along with it. And I think he wants to spend that uh, political capital in other areas um, and with, with other you know, bigger priorities. I think this is really just something that was a great 
campaign promise, but probably not something that's that's going to be coming to a, a member of Congress near you. Which which was less likely, Donald Trump becoming president of the United States think, <laughs> yeah. or Congress right. voting for term limits? Yeah, all the so-called experts, we should have stopped making predictions exactly. uh, a while ago since we were so wrong about everything with Donald Trump. And, and I was one of those people. Yeah, no, everyone. Wrong throughout the campaign. So I mean, anybody really that was saying, no, he's got a chance. You're, everyone thought he was nuts. That person's nuts. Exactly. And then here you go. Yeah. I mean, I think if he does move forward with term limits, you can look to the states for some kind of compromise measures. So California, which initially passed the strictest term limits in the nation, just six years in the state assembly, so people kind of got there and were almost lame ducks after they'd gotten anywhere. Um, California passed through an initiative that, that kind of came out of some research that, that I did with a, a, a professor at UC Berkeley, where, where we said, look, it's great to have this sort of flushing out of the system, new people every so often, but give them enough time to do something. Mm. So instead of just giving them six years in the state assembly and then maybe another eight years if they want a seat to the state senate, which is the old version of term limits in California, why don't you give them 12 years, so less time in Sacramento overall, but they can spend it in whichever house they mm. keep elected to. So if they want to spend 12 years in the assembly, you know, getting there, becoming an expert in one area, getting to chair that committee, and then actually doing something, they can do it. And so, so we're starting to see the, the first class of, of, of legislators who were elected, I believe, in 2012 under that new regime coming through and, and, and having these longer careers and, and developing that expertise that had been lacking in the body for, for a couple decades. Yeah. If we gave you a magic wand, Thad, what would you do? What, uh, how would you set it up? And would you go – would you push term limits? And, and how, would you, how would you want it to look uh, for our Congress? Yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's a, a hard one, and it depends on the legislature and, and what the problems are. Um, so, so I think there's uh, – with state legislatures, I think in some ways that's where term limits is most dangerous because you have these people who have hardly any staff. It's not a full-time job. They've only got two or three months of time. And I think term limits are, are really crippling in, in places like that where they don't have mm-hmm. any other ways to get expertise. I think in Congress it might be reasonable to talk about a, a 12 or 16 year overall total term limit. Um, but, but the question is really what are the what are the things that we think are wrong with Congress? Are people too experienced? Not really. Mm, doesn't seem right? like it. Yeah. It's, uh, it's that they is that they don't have incentives to cross over uh, from one side to the other. That the majority party has too many ways to just make the minority party voiceless, and so that when you get into the minority, all you're doing is throwing bombs at the majority. So I think there are other things in Congress, right? The power of the majority party, the power of the rules committee, um, and and the campaign finance system that, that pushes people to, to reach out to only a, a small subset of, of, of America rather than trying to make their case to all of us mm. uh, when they're raising money. I think those are much bigger priorities for, for coming up with a Congress that, that works for do everyone. You, do you see any – I mean I've heard of like certain organizations giving grades to um, some of the congressional representatives based on their decisions – is there – I guess that's another thing is is just feedback. The only way to know if your, per, your congressional representative is doing anything is I guess if they're bringing money home, you know, if, if you're seeing your district change. Is, is there any other way to evaluate them? Yeah, I think those – so those kinds of 
scores, and you can go to there are various websites. One's called you know, votesmart.org, and you can see both the scores given by these interest groups that are really kind of saying, well, how much are they supporting gun owners' rights or how mm. much are they supporting abortions' rights, right? They're clearly one-sided yeah. things, but you can say, hey, which of these groups do I agree with? Which of these groups do I hate? And, and see how they're scored. And you can also look on these websites, you know, members of Congress, what positions do they take on, on the issues? So that's one way of doing it. Um, and, and also legislators have spent a lot less time trying to just bring home the bacon for their districts. So, so the Congress has actually passed this ban on earmarks, although there are still some ways in which people are, are able to direct things to the district. But I think, you know, reading the press, right, all the other parts of the U.S. Constitution, freedom of the press, right, that allows us to have this great coverage as long as we're willing to search for it on what our legislators are doing. I think that that is more important. Paying attention to people and rewarding and punishing them based on performance is a better idea than just having this uh, this chopping block of term limits after certain years, whether someone's been good, bad, or indifferent. Yeah. What uh, what would you do just to wrap it up? Let's say President Elect Trump called you in as a researcher, academic. I mean, he's not known for appointing a lot of academics. <laughs> he's not President Obama, um, which is interesting. Um, but if he called you in and said, "Look, Fat, I need you to help me drain the swamp." What? Where would you start? I think I would like to see uh, more even playing fields in legislative districts by having more citizens redistricting commissions that are truly independent from politicians redrawing lines. Mm. Right? We've done yeah. that in, in California successfully. I think that could lead to a bit more competition and, and fewer districts that are, that, are, that are biased in favor of one party or another. I would like to see campaign finance reform. This is something that, that Donald Trump has been open to, right? He talks about the corruption in the system that comes from big donors like him in the past, right, that he's very open about. He want, And I would say, okay, why don't you give everyone that power by giving everyone vouchers uh, uh, that they could give to, uh, to, to groups to, you know, do they give directly to politicians to run their campaigns, so we all have a call on them, or even vouchers that they could use to give to groups that lobby on their behalf. If I want to say, you know, here's some issues that I carry about, I want those groups Groups, whether they represent a big, well-moneyed lobby like doctors or lawyers, or they don't, I want to give them money to lobby on my behalf in Congress. I think all of those would even the playing field, uh, and that would be much more have a much bigger impact in term limits. There you go, there you go, Thad. Thank you so much. Appreciate your great insight. Um, keep up the great work that you're doing there at UC San Diego. Again, Dr. Thad Kauser. Professor of Politics, uh, Political Science at UC San Diego, also the author of the book Term Limits and the Dismantling of States Legislative Professionalism. Interesting stuff, folks. Lots of choices that uh, President-elect Trump needs to make. And only uh, some of them you may actually see take place or even hear about or even know about. That's why we keep bringing you the ideas. You push them. You can push them to your, your local leaders. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Are you tired of watching the same Christmas films year after year? Are you on a quest to discover a new holiday favorite? Well, you only have got uh, three days left until Christmas, so Jeff Simpson is here to help you zero in on some of the more obscure holiday films to freshen things up. This is Jeff Simpson again. Yesterday, I shared my picks for the five Christmas films that you should probably avoid. 
And today I'll be sharing my picks for five slightly obscure Christmas films that you'll definitely want to check out. <laughs> See what I did there with the word you'll? Huh? All right, never mind. Number five, While You Were Sleeping. Now, even though my wife is convinced I don't like this movie, there's no denying its charm and genuine humor. Sandra Bullock plays a lonely, fair-token collector who inherits the family she never had after she saves the life of the man of her dreams before he slips into a coma and is mistaken for his fiancée. Honestly, who doesn't love Sandra Bullock and Bill Pullman? I'll see you when I see you. (laughs) Though it really should be classified as a romantic comedy... The characters in the film celebrate Christmas early in the film, so it's on the list. Number four, Shrek the Halls. Now, I'm not advocating eliminating how the Grinch stole Christmas from your holiday movie queue, but if you're experiencing Grinch burnout, you'll want to give another Green Grump a chance. This fast and funny TV short is a huge improvement over the feature-length Shrek the Third that preceded it. Many of your favorite characters from the films return to help the not-so-jolly green giant discover the true meaning of Christmas. What would the perfect Christmas be without a Christmas story? Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the... Number three, Funny Farm. Here's another pick that's not really a Christmas movie. But if It's a Wonderful Life can go almost the entire movie before mentioning the holiday and still be called a Christmas movie, then so can this 1988 Chevy Chase comedy. The plot involves a yuppie New York couple that moves to a seemingly charming town in Vermont only to discover the town is full of curmudgeons, sickos, and psycho mailmen. The Christmas part comes into play when Chase hires the townsfolk to stage a Norman Rockwell-esque holiday to fool another yuppie couple into taking their home off their hands. This movie is one of Chevy Chase's better films, and it does a great job of capturing the magic of Christmas, even if it's just one big facade. Number two, Arthur Christmas. Not a huge hit in the United States, but then again, not every Christmas classic has been initially like my number one pick, which we'll get to in a minute. Arthur Christmas gives us a glimpse of three generations of Santas and their very different styles. Arthur is the incumbent Santa's son who loves his job answering every piece of his father's fan mail. Dear Gwen, thank you for your letter and brilliant picture. Your request for a pink twinkle bike will be passed on to Santa. But when Santa fails to deliver one child's present... Only cherubic and optimistic Arthur can save Christmas. This clever and heartwarming flick was produced by Ardman Animation, the company behind such not-to-be-missed films as Wallace and Gromit, Chicken Run, and Shaun the Sheep movie. And number one, A Christmas Story. Okay, I promised I was going to stick to the slightly obscure holiday films, but this is hands down my favorite Christmas movie ever. And it must be the favorite of millions of others, too. What other movie do you know of that airs for 24 consecutive hours on television? It's not only a great holiday film. IMO, it's one of the funniest movies ever made. No one who has seen A Christmas Story can look at the word fragile and not think of Mr. Parker's major award. Fragile. It must be Italian. I think that says fragile, honey. 
And who among us can't identify with little Ralphie's Christmas wish of owning a Red Ryder Carbine Action 200-shot range model air rifle with a compass in the stock and this thing which tells time? You'll shoot your eye out, kid. Ho, ho, ho. Maybe for you it was an easy-bake oven or a shiny new bicycle. The point is, few movies capture with such accuracy the magic of realizing your hopes and dreams, no matter how trivial they may seem to an adult. So if you haven't watched any of these films this Christmas, you've only got a few days left, so get cracking. From all of us here at the Matt Townsend Show, Merry Christmas. Oh, and if you do get that BB gun on the 25th, be careful. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Happy Thursday to you. Uh, on I think uh, on Kwanzaa Eve. No, not Kwanzaa. Uh, Festivus Eve. <laughs> I was like, what? Yeah. We're not to Kwanzaa yet. Yeah, Kwanzaa comes up. I think it's between Christmas and New Year's. Yeah. It's a good time. As is Festivus, as, of course, Christmas and Hanukkah, it seems like, you know, you there's there's a holiday for everyone. And New Year's. I mean, that's just the universal. Everyone's going to have a New Year, unless, I guess, you're a Mayan. Right. I don't know. Or Chinese New Year happens yeah, or at Chinese a different New time. Year, we don't observe New Year's in our household don't you? It's offensive. What do you do when the 31st turns to the 1st or what have you? Well, I stopped celebrating when I was about uh, 21. So I'm still 21. Wow. Hmm. Still in the same year. Well, you know what? As a 21-year-old, you look horrible. <laughs> yeah, what have you been doing? <laughs> That's what everyone always says to me. Because I always pretend like I'm younger. And they're like, well, you look horrible. For a 27-year-old, you need to pick your game up. we got a great show for you. We'll, we'll be talking movies with Rod Gustafson. A special Christmas early edition since he's coming on a Thursday. Yeah, and it's also um, – there, there's something about musicals coming out. I mean lots yeah. of singing in these songs. Yeah, and I, I take it as a sort of a public service to warn me off of certain movies. Don't let me think of a movie as a possible you don't. option for a family – uh, getaway type of thing. Why? Uh, Why just, don't you like a musical? I would not be entertained. So if somebody shoots somebody, you're fine. But yeah. don't don't let them break into song. No, you know, no. it's and it's everywhere. I was surprised. I went to go see Rogue One last night, and when the Alliance broke out oh. into song, oh weird, yeah. it was a showstopper. And all yeah. those the the stormtroopers doing the rockets, yeah, they, kick and don't thing, they because like, their their boots kind of tap, don't yeah. they? So and they had a, they uh, had like a choir of whistling droids that were harmonizing so perfectly oh, with all their whistling and yeah. beeping. Yeah. I hear wow. whistling droids are one of the top presents this year. Could be. The old whistling droid. Uh, we'll get to all of that fun. We will also be – we're going to have a phone call from Santa. Santa will call the show. This is such a big deal. Yeah. And um, we've – because Jeff Simpson is such a fan of, of Christmas and, and Christmas. Santa, okay. we're yeah. going to let him talk to Santa. He's specifically calling – there's some behaviors that 
Jeff needs to fix before Christmas is kind of the yeah because he's yeah. right now Jeff is kind of on the naughty list. As the producer, I had to do the pre phone call yeah to kind of see where Santa mm-hmm. stands on some things, yeah. and there's some issues with Jeff. So okay. we'll, we'll have to address those. This is so exciting! So that'll be up in a few minutes. Plus, uh, we'll probably do a little news flush, a little Christmas news flush. Yes. And we've got a lot of criminal stories. Apparently, a lot of... Tis the season. Tis the season. In fact, (laughs) and apparently, cops now are identifying their thieves by how they walk. Mm. So if you are a pigeon-toed thief... Interesting. Pay attention. You're going to want to listen to this story. But first, to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on? Thanks, Matt. President-elect Trump and his team are considering an executive action once once in office to impose taxes on foreign imports, CNN reported on Wednesday, citing multiple anonymous sources, my favorite. The report says soon-to-be White House Chief of Staff Reince Priebus has been telling businessmen that Trump is considering imposing a 5% tax on all foreign imports, an idea that has triggered fierce opposition from some D.C., some in D.C. While such a tax would be keeping with the Trump America First motto, it would also alienate pro-trade Republicans. So we'll see how this hmm. works. 5% tax on everything wow, coming in. Wow, that's got to go. Someone's going to pay for that. We'll see. As the Trump team fills its last remaining cabinet positions, analysts are turning to his ambassador appointments as the next signal to how the president-elect will, will run his government. While Trump has already named South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, Iowa Governor uh, Terry Branstad, and conservative hardliner David Friedman as the ambassadors to the U.N., China, and Israel, respectively, the remaining post would indicate whether Trump plans to stick to a more traditional ambassador team or whether he will buck the norm. Trump is reportedly considering former Utah Governor John Huntsman for ambassador to China or to Japan. He was the ambassador to China under yeah. President Obama for a yeah. few years. Now they're thinking of sending Huntsman to Japan, possibly. Well, okay. I don't think he speaks No, well, but he has experience in the region and everyone speaks English. Okay. Then you, I'll, you can get I'll do it if they need someone. Right. See what happens. Yeah. Kellyanne Conway, president-elect Donald Trump's 2016 campaign manager, will serve as a counselor to the president in his administration. Trump team announced this on Thursday. Conway previously mentioned in an interview that she was re, uh, she didn't accept posts that were offered to her. They basically said, what do you want to do? And she said, I don't want to do anything because I have young children. There you go. But on Thursday, she called the announcement an amazing opportunity. The assistant position, which hasn't been occupied under President Obama since early 2015, was first created by former President Richard Nixon and was once considered to be a cabinet-level post. So can we say that Donald Trump is in counseling? Could be. Okay. (laughs) Could be. It depends. Good. Finally, Ikea is warning people who think it might be a good idea to have an unauthorized sleepover in one of their stores that they will be considered trespassers (laughs) and the authorities will be called. An Ikea spokesperson told the Associated Press that Ikea takes the situation seriously because the company can't guarantee safety. In August, two teenagers posted a video on YouTube showing their after-hours antics in a Belgian store. They hid in the wardrobes when the store was open and went undetected until they emerged later and then ran around the place jumping on beds and going crazy. Uh, Ikea has recorded 10 such incidents worldwide of shoppers staying overnight. And the, over the weekend in Sweden, two 14-year-old girls were caught trying to sleep over in a store. Wow. So, so Ikea is not hospitable at no. all. No. Well, mm. you know what they ought to do because it's easy. They'll If they catch them, they, they actually torture them. Well, what do they do when people get lost? 
right? It's a maze. It's a total maze. They purposely walk you through every single section. My wife and I, we were trying to check a price on something. It wasn't there. We were trying to get out. And it's like we're at our wits end. And then all of a sudden, the light bulb section came up. Oh, light bulbs. Oh, we're halfway there. And then you have to walk through the warehouse. And then you're walking down some stairs like, just let me out of the store. But don't you think, I mean, if you got caught, all they have to do is turn all the lights off. If you're going to go play around in an Ikea, just turn all the lights off. No lights in the entire place. Right. Mm. That would be creepy and you're stuck. And if you get caught, they make you put their furniture together all night long. I think they also make you eat the stale ginger cookies or the expired Swedish meatballs. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, cold expired Swedish meatballs. You haven't had a Swedish experience so you've had a cold, expired Swedish meatball. Gross. And put some furniture together. Hey, uh, it's that time of year where you prepare your naughty and your nice list. And one of the things we're finding out on the show just day in and day out is a lot of parents are becoming, it seems like, more and more manipulative about naughty and nice. I don't remember my mom you know, using all these strong-arm tactics to – to get me to realize that I'm on the naughty list or the nice list. But some parents apparently are stressing their kids out. So there's a new app. And Terry has been putting the app together. Uh, He used it with his son because his son is getting apparently a lot of feedback at school about naughty and nice. Somewhere, yes. And he's getting a little bit of it at home. Like dad's like, you're on the naughty list. I'm not going to beat you with a lightsaber. We talked about it at the beginning of the year, beginning of the December, just once. And he was like, oh, yeah, I got to be on the nice list. Plus, you got so. that creepy elf on a shelf always tattling on you. Yeah. So lump the, of coal. Lump of coal. A lot of input. Kids, you know, kind of overwhelming them. And so you can use this app to either um, help them to understand that they're on the naughty list and okay. they need to f- change their ways. Or you can use them to praise them for doing something positive okay. by having Santa call and say, like with my son, I, he called and said, that, you know, you're on the nice list because you – we're nice to your sister. And Santa actually calls. Yes. So this is this is how you set up a phone call from Santa Claus. And we, um, we've we been putting in some data on the app. What's the name of the app if they want to go look it up? Uh, let me see here. I, uh, it just says Santa Claus. Just look for Santa Claus app. There's several of them. Yeah. It's, if, if you download one and you click it and then it turns into some video call, it's not that one. I mean, sometimes <laughs> you might have like grandma or grandpa yeah. call and pretend like it's Santa. But this is the real Santa from Santa from um, the North Pole. And he makes a phone call. And Jeffrey, he's calling Jeffrey today. Are you excited about this, Jeff? I suppose. So when you I'm start a little it, worried about what he thinks I am or phone, how I behave. I wonder what list you're on. You start the app. The phone screen goes black. And then Santa calls. And when it pops up, you see a picture of Santa and you see the green and the red dot like on your phone. Oh, my so, you, so then you answer. Hello? Oh. <laughs> Hello. It's me, Santa Claus. Oh, Santa. Now, uh, what's your name? Jeffrey Simpson. Fantastic. I just needed to talk to you. Well, I've heard from my elves that you're five years old. Well, Is that right? No, I was five many years ago. Super. Oh. You know, I've decided to give you a call because my elves have told me 
that you've been a bit of a naughty boy <gasps> since you mm -hmm. were picking your nose. <gasps> well, they're bald-faced liars. That means I've had to put your name on my naughty list. Little the nose picker. The elves and I are not <laughs> impressed. You must <laughs> behave yourself and show that you can be the good child that I know you are. Well, I happen my to know. My elves have told me that you can be very well behaved. Won't even let now me defend is myself. Now your chance. Can you promise me that you'll be good from now on? I will tentatively. Marvelous. Uh, I had a lovely time he must talking be busy. to you, but yeah. I really have to get going. But, you know, I'm very busy preparing for Christmas. But let me just... I really need to go and feed my reindeer. Can, can I... They're probably very hungry. I just want to... Don't forget, I really like it when you behave well all the time. Mm -hmm. I'm trying. I'm really looking forward to calling you again soon. Merry Christmas! Can I just say... There you go. Is he gone? Yep, there he goes. You know, I happen to know <sighs> half of his there. staff, nose pickers, half of them. No, well, you're, you're just rationalizing. Yeah. Jeffrey, by the way, Santa's a horrible listener. I couldn't <laughs> well, get two old, words old, in in edgewise. He probably can't hear. Yeah, he, no. he's hearing impaired. <laughs> but um, that was fun. Jeff, what do you think? Did, do you feel, do you, would you like to receive a call from Santa again? Not if he's not going to listen. But would, he, don't you want to know if you ever get off the naughty list? Or? You know, he's he's good at being manipulative and spitting out demands. But as far as his <laughs> listening, he should be on the naughty list for not listening. <gasps> You're He's wow. getting lippy. I'm taking uh, on the man today. There you go. Fight the power. So um, overall, you are ticked now. You're upset at Santa. Yeah. I, I'm going to have to get somebody else to deliver presents from him this year. I don't think I want him in my house. Hmm. Wow. That okay. Got fired, didn't it? Yeah, well. I thought for sure Jeff would like it. So much for Christmas spirit. And so much for getting him to quit picking his nose. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, Jeff. I'm sorry. I'm sorry you had to go through that. You were trying to speak. Hmm. He just wouldn't listen. No. Just wouldn't listen. Well, let's, uh, I guess, let's go from nose picking to... Um, Transition. To body shaming, I guess. Wow. The FBI are looking for the public's help to find what they're calling the um, pigeon bandit. They hmm. call him the packing pigeon bandit. Right. A Glendale bank robber was so named because he was armed and walked uh, with his toes facing inward. Hmm. So, so he's, pigeon toed. He's pigeon toed. Hmm. And the FBI noticed uh, because they have all these FBI profilers. Right. So they're like, oh, yeah, that guy's pigeon toed. So, he had a tough childhood. You could tell. He had a tough childhood. <laughs> so the bandit robbed an Arizona Central Credit Union branch last week, according to the bank robbery task force of the FBI. And now they have been sending out a notice that he walked in, by the way, with a handgun, showed a handgun, demanded the money. And then they watched the surveillance video and they found out the guy's pigeon toed. Hmm. But on his way out, he's pointing the gun at everyone. So he's a dangerous pigeon toed guy. Right. So is it appropriate to target somebody's deformity <laughs> and then if, put it out on the news i is, think if you're deformed you get a free pass it is a to do any of that stuff it is shaming 
I mean, if all of a sudden you're watching TV and your wife's like, oh, Larry. Larry, you're on the news. But I th- you can see the FBI. It's a, a distinguishable character. It's a trait. Right. And he, they can identify him from that. How many people are pigeon-toed? Yeah. If you know a pigeon-toed person, let us know. You know. So. But it's always like the the characteristic that nobody wants to be associated with. Like there was that beer belly bandit mm. a while back. <laughs> yeah. It's like I have feelings too. I feel there, bad. There are I mean, other good things about me. I mean don't just identify me as the – I mean he's probably a great singer. Okay. He might sing really well. But they don't know this. All they know is he's pigeon-toed and he has a gun. The golden-voiced bandit. Yeah, he might. Yeah. He, he's definitely got – I think in this case you could slide the political correctness away. OK. We're trying to say – for public safety's sake – we can shame this guy. The punctual bandit. The, the good, punctual. The good yeah. speller. Yeah, right? we've had that on the show. We've had a lot of bad. That spelling was the spelling bee bandit. That was yeah. just mocking him. I know, but I mean that was. I mean, it just it just seems there's nothing so, you can do necessarily about pigeons. In the though. name of public safety, does all common social civility just out the door? I don't know. Because I mean, that's what we're talking about. I mean, I just don't know that it, it just. We shouldn't be labeling everybody. <laughs> It's it's always not about identity politics, like, but it always is. It's always a, about identity. According to Santa, Jeff may be a nose picker. Right. Well, and that, the elf labeling. on the shelf. <laughs> yeah. Santa, I'm, that's my source, right? Just so you know, I have never seen Jeffrey pick his nose. Okay. Oh, you haven't seen this board. <laughs> I won't go near that board. <laughs> oh, that's scary. Hey, uh, by the way, there's one more band that we could talk about um, from Miami that is back to pigeons, uh, if we're going to keep the pigeon theme going. Owners of a South Florida business are reeling one day after they said a burglar broke into their religious store, took off with a cage filled with pricey pigeons. Pricey pigeons. Hit some pigeon music. Just a few hours after the shop had closed up for the night, the footage shows the perpetrator wearing a bucket over his head a trash bag over his shoulders as a cape. And as the man jumped over the fence, he made his way inside. I don't know what's going on here in Miami, said May. People don't have respect for anything anymore. Minutes later, the thief is seen walking off with cages filled with pigeons that the owners said are worth thousands of dollars. The subject's exit was even harder. He is uh, seen scaling the ladder and then tumbling over the fence and falling to the ground. He's a pigeon superhero. He's saving pigeons. Was he pigeon-toed? That was not determined. I think he was pigeon-holed. We just pigeon-holed him. Hold him. That's a, that's a, I think that's a brave thing. By the way, why is a religious store have, a, have pricey pigeons? Are they supposed to be doves? Maybe they're supposed to be doves. Maybe he was trying to get the birds from the uh, Christmas song. Yeah, oh, that's true. Maybe he thought they were turtle doves. And he was kind of like a lord of leaping. He was just more like a loser of falling off a ladder. (laughs) Anyway, watch out, folks. Pigeons are in the air. Pigeons are in the air. We will take a break. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We're talking movies up next. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, because it's uh, we're we're not going to be here tomorrow. Our show, of course, will be on because 
We care about you. But we're going to be celebrating Festivus, the precursor to uh, Christmas Eve. And then, of course, Christmas, the greatest holiday, if you're celebrating it for the right reason, greatest holiday on the face of the earth. Um, But we want to talk movies because we didn't want to lose this opportunity to be with Rod Gustafson from ParentPreviews.com. Rod is a film critic specializing in reviewing movies and media from a parent's perspective. And today he's got two, uh, I guess we could call it the week of the musicals, maybe. A lot of uh, shows with singing in it. Uh, Rod, welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, Matt. Boy, I tell you, when you say a lot of shows, you could even just stop right there. They have, they've almost, they've overdone it this year. We have so many movies releasing in this window of holidays. It's incredible. What What is, um, what is it with, I mean, I guess musicals, do, do they do well at the box office? Do they make money? It, you know, they're kind of, they're really hit and miss. They really are. And uh, it's, I I scratch my head sometimes because one of these musicals is really strange and the other one I really really love hmm. and uh, and it may not be the order you think it is either but I don't know if either of these movies are going to make a lot of money at the box office and I think one of them may even win the Oscar for best picture really but part of it is is there's a certain group of stormtroopers that are just trampling over yeah. everything. And there are so many movies coming out. The theaters, I mean, obviously, you've only got so many screens. And if a movie, it, it, it's just like a product trying to find a spot in a, grocery, in a grocery store shelf. Well, movie screens are even more competitive than this year. There's some really good movies that just they can't find screens to put them on. Mm. Okay, so talk to us. Which, one, which movie do you want to talk about first? Well, let's talk about La La Land first because that is the one that uh, – I really, really enjoy this movie, Matt. It's, this is a, a movie that harkens back to the golden age of Hollywood musicals, but does it in a modern way that is that is cool and fun and poignant. And it, it's one of those films, Matt, I have never done this before. I've watched this film three times. And usually I am, especially this time of year, I watch a movie once and I think, okay, been there, done that, done. Let's move on to the yeah. next movie. This one, not only is the music just incredibly catchy and fun to listen to, but it also has a deeper story than you might expect. And it's a story about two people. And when I tell you this, you're going to think, been there, done that. It's a story about a man and a woman. They're in Los Angeles. They're both trying to break into show business. And they are going through, you know, auditions. She wants to be an actress. He wants to be a jazz star, hmm. a jazz player. And uh, his big dream is to open up a jazz club in in Los Angeles. So kind of that thing that we've seen so many times about people wanting to break into the entertainment industry. But what's interesting about this movie is, first of all, you won't expect the ending. And second of all, it really delves into this um, priority thing that I think a lot of couples are going through, whether they are, are dating couples like these two are or whether they're married couples about what's going to come first, my dreams and my career or my relationship. Mm. And 
you know, it's becoming a lonely world now. I think a lot of people, uh, as they strive to work their way through the career ladder and everything else, they get to the top and they look around and there's not much up there with them. And th- that's kind of what this movie is about. And I, the message, I think, is really quite poignant. Obviously, a film that probably, I think, teens will really enjoy the music and dancing. Little kids, no, this is really a film. He's the PG-13 rating. Thankfully, not a whole lot of, of content in this film as far as objectionable issues, except they always do this to me, Matt. They have <laughs> one sexual expletive. Otherwise, I don't even know if it would have been a PG-13. Now, this couple does live together, but we really don't see they're, – they're too busy debating about how they're going to fit into each other's lives. There's no time for, uh, for sensual content and that type of thing. So, so it's quite low on that. There is a little bit, but nothing, nothing too major in it. And, uh, and, but the, the performances, uh, this is Ryan Gosling and uh, Emma Stone, and the two of them both do their own singing, and they are really quite good. The dancing is amazing. And it all takes place in Los Angeles, and it's shot in a way that makes Los Angeles look absolutely gorgeous. And, you know, I've been to L.A. many times. <laughs> sometimes it's beautiful. Other yeah. times it's not. And uh, But it's just a real slick-looking, uh, incredible production design and that type of thing. Now, this film got nominated for a lot of awards at our Broadcast Film Critics Association, and it won for Best Picture. It's been nominated, I think, I should have looked it up, I think it's got eight nominations with the Golden Globes, and I'm sure the Oscars are going to be loving La La Land as well. That's great. I mean, I'm watching the trailer here, and I just, I think, yeah, it's it's one kids won't necessarily be enthralled with, but man, mom and dad might love it. I think mom and dad really would. And the other thing, I mean, you, even though I don't want to give away the ending, but put it this way, you'll be surprised that you still walk out of the theater feeling quite happy. And what it does for me, Matt, is it, it made me think about my priorities, too, with mm. my wife, with my kids. And I think that's a good thing as well. Now, here's the biggest downside. This film has been out in the United States, I think, for a couple of weeks now. I'm, it still hasn't been released here in Canada. It releases on Christmas Day. Um, and it's only in like 700 theaters. So you're going to have to search for it. You may have to drive a little ways to go see La La Land. It may not be at the multiplex in your neighborhood. But in my opinion, it's worth the drive. That's great. That's wonderful. Well, and I guess, I mean, really, normally we have you review it for the discussions you can have with your kids. But maybe this would bring up some great discussion with you and your spouse. Yes. And I really think that's a, that's a very good point, Matt. I really think you could do that. And I mean, obviously with teens too, you know, because teens are thinking about, you know, sometimes they're thinking about, well, what do I want my career to look yeah. like? What do I want my marriage to look like? So, yeah, it does. It can raise some really good discussion points afterwards. That's great. Good stuff. So uh, La La Land sounds like a must-see if you're an adult. And uh, the the other one you wanted to review is Sing. Yeah, now things a little bit trickier. This is a, a film from Illumination Studios. They're the guys that do uh, Despicable Me, a franchise that I've quite enjoyed for the most part. And uh, so this is a movie that is kind of like the musical version of Zootopia in a strange way. Um, it, although Zootopia had music in it too, I guess, when I think about it. But this one's got a lot of music in it. And, um, and this is a film about a bunch of talking animals <laughs> who, one of them is a koala bear, and he owns this old rundown theater that he inherited from his father. The theater isn't making money, he's in debt, and so he's got one last kick at the cat, so to speak, to put on a show 
that is going to pay the bills. And so he decides to do a talent contest, kind of like Think America's Got Talent or something mm. like that. Yeah. And so he he's going to do this audition where he's going to have a $1,000 prize. Well, his secretary is this very old iguana with one eye, and she, when she's typing out the poster... <laughs> I know, imagine <laughs> When she's typing out the poster to promote this, she accidentally puts too many zeros on. Her glass eye falls out on the keyboard. Oh, boy. And wow. The poster winds up saying $100,000. So, of course, the whole town shows up to audition, and he doesn't know until he's well into this that he's on the line for $100,000. So, basically, that's what it is. Now, the contestants that come out to this and get picked for it are dealing with some very adult problems. One, uh, she's, a, she's a, from a pig family. They're pigs. And she and her husband, they've got like 25 children, and they just aren't spending time together anymore. And there's a lot of, you know, he's just very disinterested. No sexual content in this, but still, you know, you get that sense that their relationship's really on the rocks. And so she is basically looking for how can she regain her life and how can she get it back. There's another younger guy, he's a gorilla. And he appears to be an older teenager. He doesn't have a, a mother, and his father is involved in a crime ring. Oh boy! And he's and he's the getaway driver, you know. So, and there's a couple more like this. The the problems that these characters are facing really aren't kid problems. And although the ending does redeem itself to a high degree, because halfway through this, I thought, what's going on? I still think that um, kids, they'll probably enjoy the music, they'll enjoy watching the characters, but parents, just be, if you, if you go to this movie, just be prepared to talk about some pretty heavy, heavy subjects. So we're giving Sing a B-, minus. it's kind of right on the line, there's a fair amount of violence for a cartoon, and when I say that, there's not like blood and gore or anything, but... Mm just some of these things, dishonesty and bank robbery and, you know, these types of things that you may not be expecting. Yeah. It's chock full of music, man. Universal distributes, um, they work with Illumination and they've got one of the largest music libraries in the world. They rated it for this. I swear there must be 20 plus popular songs in this film. Oh, wow. It's, isn't that interesting? They're, they're making a cartoon. They're, they're making it something the kids would love. Of course, parents would, you know, start to like these cartoons as well. But I guess in the end, um, the the adult topic. I mean, maybe we don't need adult themes. Yeah, you know that's the part of it that was just confusing to me. And I understand that you want to keep the older adult audience interested. I I, I really admire. I mean, Pixar is always the first one that comes to mind. Companies that can create these animations that have that broad age range where the kids are laughing, the parents are laughing, and it just all works together. But this one, just as I say, it starts delving into areas that are, are really a lot more adult-focused than kids-focused. So the kids may like, you know, some of the slapstick stuff that's going on, like watching the iguana's eye fall out occasionally. <laughs> but they, <laughs> Who doesn't love that? Yeah, who doesn't love that? But, you know, the idea, you know, the idea of this, there's another guy, it's a little mouse, and he's kind of like Frank Sinatra, and he owes money to the mob, and, you know, so he's wow. running from the mob, and that type of thing, too, and so, you know, it's like, boy, this is some pretty serious stuff in here, so. That's interesting. Confusing. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, what Hollywood will do to get you to the yeah. movies. It's interesting stuff. Well, Rod, we appreciate you. It sounds like a weekend of musicals. 
Um, and uh, keep up the great work there at parentpreviews.com. Everybody, go check out the website, parentpreviews.com. Make sure you get down to the notes uh, for parents where discussion notes, wonderful insights, questions, things you can talk about with your kids to, to strengthen the family. I mean, it's one thing to go to a movie, and I, sh- I know you want to disconnect, but you still have to drive home from the movie, right? You may as well talk. It might uh, connect you to your family. We will take a break when we come back to a little uh, news flush, holiday news flush, in a way. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, as uh, you know, on Fridays, we usually like to do a little news flush, we call it, get through some of the stories that we've been paying attention to, but we haven't had time to talk about yet. And uh, to do that, you know, we just like to rifle through as many as we can. I've got a great one that we will start with. Um, the NBA, you know, it's all about the value of these these. Players, they're worth right. so much money, but apparently, according to some new rules in the NBA, um, the NBA and its players have agreed to a new collective bargaining agreement. Yes, and it looks like restrictions put on the players are getting a lot tougher. Yep. The, the players are no longer allowed to ride hoverboards, no hoverboards, jump on trampolines. No, this is an interesting one, yeah. or carry guns. Really, I mean. This is the NBA, not the NFL. Well, no, I thought there was no provision for guns is what I read. Yeah, That's you, interesting. Apparently, they're not they, allowed to carry guns. There was guns. an incident with the Washington Wizards where one player got in a fight over some gambling with you know por- poker winnings or something. and Because uh-huh. they play a lot of card yeah. games because they're on airplanes oh. all the time. And with so, another player? With another player on the team or it was a girlfriend situation. Who knows? But somebody pulled a gun on somebody in the locker room. Yeah. Where the Washington Wizards play in D.C., and uh, it was diffused quickly, but the NBA was like, "Put your gun away." They there was a penalty, but then like law enforcement stepped in because you just can't oh, yeah, pull no, guns yeah. on people. No, remember I taught you that, Jeffrey. Don't pull guns on people, and so, don't pull boogers out of my nose. That's either. right, because you'll be on the naughty list. So it turned into a big situation. So, but um, there's no rule now. That it looks like they're trying to implement. Oh, by something. the way, it's pretty obvious too. They've banned fireworks yes. because of NFL player Jason Pierre-Paul's he blew off half his hand. Yeah. Yes. That was bad. Um, I think, too, I'm not sure, but I, I heard something, some rumblings about uh, Samsung 7 right. notebook uh, also The phones, banned. yeah. Keep those up. But those more incinerate than explode. Yeah. yeah. It's not a real explosion. It's more of an internal thing. Yeah. Oh, someone's oh, calling. Oh. <laughs> You're fired. You're fired. Uh, anyway, so flush it. Sorry, NBA. You're not allowed to have explosive hoverboards. A few years ago, the uh, the head of the FX TV network went FX. to a uh, a critic a television critics association meeting, and he talked about peak TV. Mm-hmm. He was talking about how there's too much TV to actually watch, and so it's getting crazy. And all these little uh, channels are just no one's watching the, these these programs, but they're creating all this TV. 
And he's like, what's the end of it? What's the – and he gave whatever the ridiculous number of scripted TV shows. Well, FX put out some more information this year. Peak TV was once again far from peaky in 2016 with a record 455 scripted original TV shows across all broadcast, cable, and streaming sources. Hmm. 455 original shows. Well, does everybody know you don't have to watch all of them? 8% increase over the, over last year, 71% increase over five years ago, and a 137% increase over 10 years ago. It's interesting that they did the study because their shows are routinely rated very low. Well, maybe that's they're trying to get people to By get who? to the lower 450. Well, I mean, if you just look at the ratings, they're aren't a ton of people watching FX shows. Okay. FX. You don't agree. They're not really basing them a lot off of ratings when it comes to the cable networks. I see. They mm. have other revenue streams beyond commercials, so it doesn't really matter if you watch it or not. That's really <laughs> the guy's problem is that Can you we... have you have networks that they have literally zero and they get no attention from anybody and they're still cranking out shows. And he's like, what? There has to be an end. It just seems like something well, that can't be maintained. Uh the shopping network, HSN. There you go. I, apparently, people are watching that. They buy stuff like crazy. Yeah. Apparently, by the way, my generation yes. and above. Yeah. Yeah. That's how we go. So flush it. Hey, Cosmopolitan Magazine um, is talking about a study that they found that women are better doctors than men. I saw this. According mm. to JAMA, um, the Journal for uh, American Medical Association. Association Internal medicine has found that female physicians are often better uh, – give better patient care than male physicians. Mm. The study, which looked at four years of Medicare data and 1.5 million hospital visits, found that patients treated by female physicians had significantly lower mortality rates and readmission rates compared with those cared for by male physicians with the same hospital. Mm. And based on these findings, if male doctors performed as well as female counterparts, an estimated 32,000 lives could be saved per year. Wow. That is great news. So if you have to choose, like let's say you're changing your health care with Trump care or Obamacare, whatever we're going to call Trump's care. Maybe if you have to change doctors, go choose a female doctor if Mm -hmm. you want to live. Right. And I'm not, again, I have a lot of doctors in my family. Yes. But I'm not sure I, I want them working on me. You know, if he were smart, he, would, he wouldn't call it Trump care. He would call it Trump <gasps> cares. Oh, man. That was brilliant, Jeff. That's great. That was a, did you, and he even said it with like a gentle yeah. Trump cares. Yeah. We got to do an ad on that. That's nice. Okay. Flush it. Doctors uh, are awesome. Disney has broken box office records by becoming the first company in cinema history to make $7 billion from ticket sales in a single year. Wow. The huge debut for Rogue One, the latest Star Wars installment, which has not even hit... Uh, <coughs> yeah, right. I'm just choked up by the story. Don't get sad. Um, they haven't hit cinema screens in the Chinese market, which they're expecting to be a huge debut there later on. Um, has become the first distributor with $7 billion. It says the $290 million worldwide opening for Star Wars spinoff put Disney over the top. And, uh, yeah, so Captain America Civil War, right, $1.2 billion. Wow. Uh, Dory, Finding Dory, $1.03 billion. Holy, that is... This Zootopia, is... $1.02 billion, right? Jungle Book, $960 million. 
Doctor Strange, six hundred fifty-three million, and then so far with Rogue One, two hundred ninety million. Unbelievable! That's big money. Yeah. Plus, there's a bunch of other movies they put out, and collectively, they've put up seven billion for the year. Well, and I can't believe they're making this much money, considering the fact that we have way too many television shows. Absolutely, right? it's too mm-hmm. much TV. It's too much TV. Hey, flush it. According to RedBookMagazine.com, the original Gerber baby, that cute little baby on all the Gerber jars. Don't say it. 90 years old. Oh, wow. 90 years old. That cute, perfect little baby, 90. And I think uh, that baby still looks exactly the same, too. Well, I'm looking at her right now. Oh, she's super cute She's lovely. She's beautiful. And... um, I mean, to be the Gerber baby is a big deal, right? My daughter did some ads, and she's not the Gerber baby. Some baby photo shoots? Yeah, it's pretty. We took advantage of her, made some money on her while she was young. She's all right. You not really ought to think baby. about doing that with your kids. These new babies, they're cute. Get what you can out of them. Monetize them as gonna, you can. They're going to yeah. cost you some money later. Right. So happy birthday to the Gerber baby. By the way, her name, Ann Turner Cook. <clears throat> She's been famous famous since 1928. Wow. Hmm. Pretty cool. Found this story the other day. Federal agents are investigating a suspected Capitol Hill, this is in D.C., based DVD bootlegging operation in which thousands of dollars in pirated copies of The West Wing, The Sopranos, The Twilight Zone, and The Big Bang Theory were imported from Hong Kong and resold. Wow. Agents filed search warrants this month to review bank accounts of suspected participant in the operation. The bank records were seized December 6th, the agent reported in a filing on Tuesday. Investigators, uh, this stems from a, 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 uh, a search in 2012 of a D.C. area apartment where they found 16 suspicious uh, shipments, including at least six found during the um, inspection. So they, they found the house where they had a bunch of DVDs in it. Then they tracked back to where they were shipping from, from a, a DHL shipping company, right? Yeah. And uh, they found uh, 522 counterfeit DVD TV series, including at least $2,800 worth of copies of The West Wing. Wow. I didn't know that that was so popular. Might be moving a lot of money there. So according to federal agents, $6,000 worth of DVD box sets for the other TV shows were also found. Who's who's still buying box sets of things. I don't know. And they're bootlegged, which I don't know what Seems the like quality that would be. Seems like you could just go online if you're going to bootleg. Get, them, get most of them on Netflix or right. Amazon. Yeah, so. Pay nine bucks, watch the whole thing, and you're done. Apparently bootlegging is still a thing. Bootlegging, still a thing. Flush it. Okay, we will take a break. When we come back, our own Caitlin Thomas will join us. She's going to give us some Christmas trivia. Get you in the mood for the big holiday season. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Christmas, it's practically here. You're just one Festivus away. And then Christmas Eve, then Christmas, then black, dark, next day when everybody goes back shopping. I don't remember what it's called. <laughs> anyway, um, joining us, we're because we're three days away from it, and everyone's anticipating the big uh, holiday year, uh, time of year. Trees are up, stockings are hung, gifts are being wrapped. 
people caroling. It's beautiful. Caitlin Thomas is here to help us, uh, to quiz us on some of the history behind Christmas. Hello. Are we going to get to the the original history? She was just singing the Grinch. How do you know the Who music? I Um, love the the Who, by the way. My dance company performed, they do Grinch every year at my Mm -hmm. high school, and one year I was Cindy Lou Who. Were you really? Yeah. Who? 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 Cindy Lou Who. Cindy Lou Who. Who? Who is no more than two. No more than two. I was a little bit older than that. But and suffering from the flu. <laughs> We're Dr. Seuss over here at the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, uh, you're going to talk trivia. Are you talking yeah. original trivia of Christmas, original... like the birth in a manger? No, like we're talking oh. about like the newer, like Santa Claus kind of stuff. Oh, so the fake stuff. The fake stuff. Like yeah. where did it come from? Why do we Why do we even do what we do? Did you hear that Jeffrey got a call from Santa this morning? I heard, and he's on the naughty list for picking his nose. Yeah. Allegedly. Allegedly. Although you don't want to Gross. see the board. Yeah. Gross. Ugly. So speaking of Santa Claus, where yeah. did Santa Claus come from? Where did he originate from, Matt? Um, he North Pole. Where did the tale of Santa Claus uh, The tale came from, from um, the Netherlands. No. Probably close, though. Well, it's not Germany because they've got Krampus. Krampus. No, it, Krampus. it can be traced back hundreds of years ago to a monk ah. named St. Nicholas okay. who was born around... 280 AD, whatever, in modern, in Turkey. Oh. And he gave up all of everything he had, and he gave all of his wealth to the sick and the poor. Oh, neat. What a great guy. Sounds like a saint. So when Santa gives us presents, he's just like emptying out his closet? Yeah. Well, I mean, it obviously got a little more. I didn't think Christmas came from Turkey. That's kind of interesting. Interesting. Well, Christmas, but like the Santa Claus part of it. St. Nicholas did, yeah. What about the lights? Why do we put lights on our house? Where did that come from? The lights came from um, fireflies that used to land on the the pine trees. Yeah, no. Near Turkish. I thought it had to do with. Now we're in Germany. I thought it had to do with Christ. Well, yeah, it did, but like we put Christmas lights on a tree specifically because mm. Germany they used to light the trees um, with candles. That's okay. how they would decorate it, and then mm. it became more modern to put on lights because it was a little dangerous to have burning candles right. on a tree. And the firefighting business was booming back oh, then. Those booming. Were the days. You remember that? Booming. Cool. So there you go. That's why we put lights on our oh, house. That's good news. That's what good... about reindeer? Why does Santa have reindeer? <sighs> because they're the only they're the only rain they're the only deer that fly. Yeah, well, that's probably true. Because mm-hmm. they I, only fly in the rain. Oh, dear. interesting thought. Well, actually, because normally the old Santa Claus just had one big white reindeer on his sleigh, but it turned into the eight reindeer. Some guy wrote a poem, and he just made it up. Oh, and, really? And we just adopted it. Why, um, why, why a white deer? I don't because he's from the North Pole. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Speaking I of just... which, like... What, who decided Santa lives in the North Pole? Santa. And taxes are a lot lower in the North Pole. <laughs> oh, the cost of living there is and so low. You can just only employ elves, which I think is illegal to only employ it to, to <laughs> be so racist. Or yeah. They get paid so little, it's embarrassing. I know. Well, Thomas Nast kind of had those similar ideas. He was a writer, and he just decided that Santa lived in the North Pole. It, like, he just made it up, but it oh. was because, like, it was equidistant from most of the countries that Santa visited in the Northern Hemisphere. Okay, yeah. Um, but he also says that it's much harder for people to spy on Santa when you're in the North Pole. Plus, he doesn't have to claim any country, like, yeah, as for a taxes. nationality right. or anything. He, so he's neutral. Right. So he he's, could have done Switzerland, but 
Um, what's interesting about the data here is it seems like a lot of this is just random and made up. Yeah, people just kind of wrote something and printed it, and then we just were like, yeah, that sounds good. But how can that happen if Santa is a real person? Well, that... Santa is a real person, but like we don't know everything about him. He's so mysterious. We never see him. Oh, don't we? Well, you could see him in the mall, but... Did you know that as a kid, I saw his boot prints on my roof? No way. And sleigh prints on my roof. See? We, see? I saw it. That's right, then, because I was giving up, you not believing. You had a good dad. And I saw boot prints and sleigh prints on my roof. Did you ever get coal in your stocking? No. Have you ever thought about why we decided that naughty kids get coal, like of all things? I think that's a Krampus deal. Yeah, and it was... Uh, Apparently, it was just also out of convenience because Santa comes down the chimney. Oh. So instead of giving you your presents, he would just grab coal from the bottom of the fireplace oh, he's and stick a very, it in your stocking. It's like scrapes off his boot. Yeah, apparently it was just like a common thread that all the countries had in common where Santa came down the yeah. chimney. So he started giving coal. That's See, these are great little tricks because – or tricks. Uh, what are you calling them? These are trivia. Trivia questions. You can you. just you can spring these on family during the holiday season. Uh, so uh, if you don't want coal for Christmas and you've been naughty and you don't want to be good, don't have a fireplace. Just have a gas fireplace. It's mm. a great point. There you go. And if you don't want to be getting coal or be naughty, keep your finger out of your nose. There we was, learned that. I saw earlier. this uh, like environmentalist organization that was trying to clean the environment. Read a PSA about why Santa will no longer be using coal because Santa is going green. Okay. So there you have it. So they're going to ruin that. <laughs> I mean, I'm an environmentalist. Don't get me wrong, but don't mess with coal. So they mess with Santa Claus and his legend a little bit. Um, what are you doing for the holidays? Me? Yeah. I'm sleeping. I'm going home. I'm not working, that's for sure. Why aren't you going to work? Um, because it's Christmas. Because I'm the only member of the Matt Townsend team besides the three adult males that's actually in the office. There's other adults on the team. Uh, but well, these yeah. three adults. That means you're. I. That's e. what you're Matt, one of Jeff the. Terry. You're one of the. You're one of the stars. I'm the only student team sure. member left in the office. And right what now. is that? Why do you know why? Because we think you're amazing. Oh, we Jeff really did do. just give me a hundred grand candy. Bar. I have. I have a, even a better present for you. What? I'll give it to you. But it, it is a candy Yee. bar. He just wants to swap with you. He wants to give he you his Kit Kat bar. He wants to trade his Kit Kat for my 100 No, grand. I'm going to give you a Toblerone. Oh, those are yummy. They're not just yummy. They're European. Where did that tradition come from? Or, yeah. Uh, Who decided that was a Christmas thing? My wife decided that uh-huh. that's a Christmas thing. See, we just make it a thing. Toblerone. Well, we appreciate you, Caitlin. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Thanks for being incredible. We will take a break. And when we come back... One more hour of the show. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Happy holidays to you. It's Thursday, and uh, tis the eve of Festivus for the rest of us. So does that mean you get out your pole and you decorate it? Yes. Or you, uh, oh, you don't decorate the pole, but you get it out. You get So if you are into Festivus, Festivus is kind of the anti-holiday holiday, where instead of spending all your time at the mall, don't do that. 
You spend it yelling at your family members. You can be angry, and but by being angry, it's part of the season. Yeah, so, so you're, you're being not, you're being festive. Yeah, you're not and, being a Grinch. Yeah, a Scrooge. You are actually celebrating, and instead of getting a tree and decorating it, you're just going to put an aluminum pole up, and just, you wrestle around with your family members. Yeah, yeah, but you know, if if you throw that pole up there, people are going to start playing on it. So. Sticking their tongue on it. Mm-hmm. Mm. Don't do it. Don't do it. Happy days, folks. Um, we're, we're so glad you're joining us. This is, this is a just – it's a good time of year. So make sure you're enjoying your family. Uh, today we'll be talking with an expert about creativity. If you want a creative child, there are some things you can do to have a more creative child. And I'm, I'm mainly talking to you two because – you two have children that are at a perfect age to do what our guest today is going to suggest. Play with your children. Oh, I was just going to say be totally overbearing as a parent and, and force them to do it. No, 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 no. You're going to want to have – you're going to want to play with them. Isn't that what Tiger Woods' dad did and pretty much any famous yeah. – or parent of famous kids? And you burn them out and then you create other problems. This uh, – our guest today, Dr. Sandra Russ, will be joining us. She is going to talk about – how you can play with your children in a way to foster their creativity. Hmm. Let them imagine stuff, and you can even kind of prompt their imagination and then allow them to create better stories, Let, allow them to just ignite their creativity. Powerful stuff. It's, it's in a way to get you guys ready for the big holidays. See, I personally, we will all be sitting around in my house. No one will be talking. All my teens will be on their devices. Mm-hmm. Well, you could text each other. Yeah. No. Yeah, we probably won't do that. Why not? They'll just say, hey, Dad. And I'll like, oh, are we going to talk? And they're like, can I get a ride to my friend's house? (laughs) He lives across the street. Yeah. Wow. And then there is a benefit. Then I just turn to my older son. I'm like, hey, can you take him to his friend's house? Oh, nice. Just hand him the keys. Yeah. Then I get back to Netflix. Right. And you tell everyone to be quiet. Quiet! Dad's watching Netflix. Watching the TV here. Oh, it's such a great time of year. <laughs> what a great spirit. So we'll be getting into that. Also be visiting with the good brethren from uh, BYU Sports Nation, um, except it's going to be a whole new crew today because last night, right. I think because of the rain, they were probably electrocuted. Could have been. Lots of rain. Lots of rain. At the bowl game last night. Wyoming had to change their gloves. Yeah. So they could have more rain-friendly gloves. Instead of the dry weather gloves. Oh, is that why they started Hmm. catching the ball in the second half? Yeah, because in the first half, they wore these gloves. They they were discussing it as I tuned in at one point. They said it's like wearing rubber gloves in the rain so the ball just slips through like a bar of soap. Whereas they got more sticky gloves so they could hold on to the ball better. Right. Plus, you probably ought not be throwing soap. Yeah. Just keep the soap out and just use the balls. Right. Um, the, The game was a close game. It didn't need to be. It only appeared to be at the end because of the glove situation, apparently. Apparently. And some bad defense. And yes. then Kai Nakua intercepts the ball mm. to end the game. Yeah. What a great way to go. I went to bed. Oh, you did? Yeah. Well, that was like, yeah, it was 10 o'clock. I was like, yeah. Done. Grandpa. No, I, I just, I have to get up early, so yeah. go to bed. Well, so do I. Well, yeah, I just. I couldn't fall asleep. I passed out. Man. Give anything to be you. Yeah, well, a lot of people think that. <laughs> so we'll be talking with Blaine Fowler, I believe, and Jason Shepard um, about their take on all of this. 
and just see what they're going to be doing for the holidays as well. Lots of fun. Plus, of course, a hero of the day and some more just crazy news. Get you ready for the big holiday. But first, to Terry South with the headlines. Terry, what's going on around the country? Thanks, Matt. President-elect Donald Trump immersed in Washington, D.C. culture. He no longer wishes to use the, quote, drain the swamp refrain that became so popular during his campaign. I'm told he now just disclaims that. He knows that it was cute, but he doesn't want to use it anymore, says Newt Gingrich. (laughs) An informal advisor and prominent surrogate for the Trump campaign, said Wednesday on NPR's Morning Edition. He's in a different role now, and he maybe feels that being as president, uh, as the next president of the United States, that he should be marginally more dignified and talking about alligators in the swamps doesn't qualify for that. Gingrich further defended the president-elect's sudden shift away from the populism on which he ran. He is my leader. If he decides to drop the swamp and the alligator, I will drop the swamp and the alligator. By the way, I think he also said we will no longer be calling Newt Newt. Newt. He will now be called Salamander. Salamander Gingrich. Yes. Sally. Or Sally for short. House Democrats have introduced a bill that would impose sanctions on foreign entities and interfere with U.S. elections. The bill, co-sponsored by all 19 Democratic members of the House Committee on Foreign Affairs, would target any foreign person or entity found to have illegally tampered with an election. Anyone found to have illegally interfered in a U.S. election would be barred from entering the country and would have all their U.S.-based assets frozen. (gasps) George Soros, better watch out. They like our banks. That George Soros. Yeah. Yeah. Three terminals at Los Angeles International Airport were evacuated Wednesday morning after police received reports of suspicious packages. About 9.30 in the morning, local time Wednesday... L.A. International Airport dog sniffing or dog police dog sniffed out a suspect a suspected bag underneath a ticking or a ticketing booth, Ooh. prompting the evacuation of Terminal Six. Minutes later, Terminal Seven was evacuated when an unattended bag was discovered under a pedestrian bridge. As LAPD bomb squad headed to Terminal Seven, a third report came in what? of another unattended bag in a men's bathroom in Terminal Five, triggering an evacuation there. LAX spokespersons told the L.A. Times that while the airport operations were briefly shut down, police cleared the terminals and service resumed this all happened on the airport's busiest day of the year close to 239,000 people were expected to fly out of lax by the end of yesterday wow that's a lot of uh a lot of bomb threats not i mean just unattended bags people watch your bags for crying out loud keep your bag close yeah so they caused problems. They got it back open and running. Everything's mm-hmm. fine. Uh, we had a story a couple weeks ago. A uh, man stole a bucket of gold off a New York City truck. A bucket of gold. Remember we talked about this? And by the way, I heard uh, in Louisville, a man stole, stole a bucket of frankincense. No, and then know. some dude, apparently the myrrh market is dropping. The myrrh market. I think it was a merman that stole it. Merman took it. New York City police say they believe the opportunistic thief who swiped the 86-pound bucket of gold flakes worth $1.6 million off the armored truck in Manhattan is hiding out on the West Coast. If you remember, I, I was yeah. telling you the security camera showed the guy take it off the truck, and then he like set it down briefly. Then he picked it up, walked to the end of the street, set it down on the corner. Whew, this is heavy. And then he picked it up again and kept going. So I'm guessing um, he's hiding out in San Francisco. Well, it says detectives say the man fled to Orlando, Florida. Wow. Then after the September 29th uh, theft, before ultimately landing in California, police believe he is hiding out in L.A. 
with the stolen gold, the thief occurred in or the theft occurred in broad daylight. Was caught on surveillance cameras. Police say their suspect, 53-year-old Julio Novello, who goes by the name Louis Toledo, David Vargas, and other aliases. Gold they man. say he has a he's a career thief mm-hmm. from the New Jersey area. He has been arrested before and deported back to his native Ecuador several times. Wow! They just can't find him. They know. Exactly well, I know who where to is. find him. He's at a chiropractor's office, and they're popping his back in. <laughs> Trying to fix the spinal You can't just grab adjustment. an 86-pound bucket of gold and just run with it. I grabbed 200-pound dumbbells in my hands and ran away last night. Braggard. He's a braggard. Uh, just a little bit. So I started my fitness program yesterday. And? Um, Do you hurt? Oh, yeah. Parts of your body you didn't know you had now are mm-hmm. inflamed and yeah. pain? Okay. You're not coughing as much. Yeah. So well, you know maybe what? the exercise did that. I think it, I think it actually did. It, I think mm. it done burnt all that phlegm out of my chest. Man, who, who mentioned that weeks past? Um, I think oh, Jeff did. that was me. Interesting. He, braggard number two. That's your second. You're a braggard today. Yeah. Well, it's okay. That's crazy. Did you hear the good news? Well, no. <gasps> Donald Trump has oh, officially made up. Huh? With Utah. Oh, has he? Because he invited the Mormon Tabernacle Choir to sing at the inauguration. And they're going. And they're going. And they're going. Yeah. Huge. That hasn't happened since Reagan, I don't think. Hmm. That's huge. Fifth most annoying word, according to that poll I told you about. Hallelujah? No, huge. Oh, okay. yeah, but you can't say. So this doesn't annoy you then. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. No more than usual. That is so great. That can't annoy you. That is what they will be singing as you hmm. walk into heaven. Well, that's probably not going to happen. But Me? I mean, as, hey, as hey, others hey, walk in. Hey, hey. He's not going to walk. He's going to fly. Yeah. They're going to wheel him in. <laughs> or saunter, at least. Look at that young man sauntering into heaven. Wow. Um, congratulations to the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, 360-member choir. Yeah. They're going to go stand during the entire inauguration. Hopefully think, not in the rain. Do you think any of them will abstain that day from singing in the choir? No. Hmm. When you get asked to sing at the inaugural, uh, what do they call it, at the inauguration, you You've heard going. of Trump's difficulty of getting people to perform in, at the mini inauguration parties. Yeah, and, yeah how they're offering certain things. And the rumor was they're offering ambassadorships to anyone who could actually book certain guests. Really? That was the rumor. I thought for sure Kanye West there. was going to be singing. Are they, are they going to be singing this? Yeah. Donald Trump, the gift. America's gift. That's his new nickname, by the way. The, the gift, gift that keeps on giving. Making America great. Mm. One tweet at a time. It it warms your heart. The cockles of your heart, even. Pardon? That's what it's called. Cockles? Yeah. It's a wonderful time of year. Okay. Any other news yes. you want to get to? All kinds of stuff here. Um, apparently, uh, the Charity Commission for England, they're the ones that decide if you are or are not a charity, have decided that Jediism oh boy. is not a charity. Yes. 
Good. They, they, they ruled that the Temple of the Jedi Order, they're not an official religion. The commission determined the religious group based on the beliefs of the Jedi from the Star Wars films is not eligible for charitable status as an organized religion. Oh, but, but it can't be a religion. I thought it could be a religion, but not a charity. Well, it says the commission considered an application by the Temple of the Jedi Order for... Uh, registration as a charity and in- concluded that the organization was not established for exclusively charitable purposes and could not be registered. Maybe this is because some Jedi still have to kill people. Jediism is ranked as the seventh most pop- most popular religion in a 2011 census of uh, 177,000 people declaring themselves Jedi under the religion section, according to the BBC. Are they practicing Jedis? Well, you're always practicing. You're never always really good with the, the lightsaber. Do you think they could get my car out of a snowbank? The Temple of the Jedi Order's website looks to establish the Jedi are not a group of Star Wars fanatics, but rather an organization promoting goodwill, understanding, and compassion, along with sen- uh, oh, that's good. serenity. Huh. But you'd think if there were so many practicing Jedis, this would be a, a safer world. No. They don't actually have any power. They're just people in a cloak with some toys. No, and a lightsaber. Didn't he wave his hand in front of the, the committee and say, you will recognize Jediism as a religion? I think he did. That's a good point. Are pets children? No. Some people consider them children. Well, they're not human. Well, I understand that, but people see them as their kids. They're part of the family. They're only kids if you're a goat. So th- this article, you can coo at Sparky all, all you like and even dress him up as one of Santa's elves. But when it comes to the law, the judge in Ca- a judge in Canada says Sparky is a dog, not your child. Good job, that judge. That ruling came as part of a pet custody battle in a divorce case where the wife wants the couple's two dogs, Kenya and Willow, to live with her with visitation privileges for her ex. The husband, described by the wife as a cat person, disagrees. So the matter ended up in the court of Judge uh, Richard Dominic, who in a ruling chides the couple for wasting scarce or scarce judicial resources and spends some ink explaining why the family hound is actually isn't actually a child under the law you know how to fix this don't you no you use the judgment of king solomon and you say i am going to cut cut the dog in half and whichever parent says no not my dog they're the they're the one that should get the dog husband characterized as a cat person that's how you get the judge's favor. He doesn't even like dogs. I don't know why we're here. Let's be real, too. So animals, not kids. Uh, trees, not kids. Right. Mountains, not walls. Hmm. For anybody that is misinterpreting what these things are. Just a little service we provide here at the Matt Townsend Show. It's a gift. It's a simple gift. It's a very simple, very, very, (laughs) very simple gift. Don't make me cut this baby in half and you can decide. That was the judgment of Solomon, remember? It's in the Bible, for heaven's sakes. Powerful. Bringing you a little religion today here on the Matt Townsend Show. We will take a break when we come back. How to help your child be more creative. It may be the key to success in the future. Think about how much... uh, bosses, how many organizations now are demanding more creativity from people. We'll give you some insight on that. How to foster creativity in your children by simply playing with them. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back.
Welcome back, friends. You know, have you ever stood in the doorway and just watched your child play out a story? You know, whether they're playing with puppets or Barbies or action figures, it can be quite entertaining. But kids don't just play pretend to keep their minds off of adult things. It's actually a vital part of their development. And watching your kids play can give you a lot of insight into how your child's mind is actually working. Dr. Sandra Russ is a professor at uh, Louis D. Beaumont University in the Department of Psychological Sciences, joins us today from Ohio to teach us some important and imaginative ideas about how uh, our play may be impacting our child's creativity. Dr. Sandra Russ, thank you for being with us. Hi, nice to be here. And I should add that I'm at Case Western Reserve University. Oh, are you at Case Western now? Ohio. Yeah, okay, great. That's great. Okay. Case Western uh, Reserve. Um, One of the things I wanted to ask you about your study, as I, because we we all have different, you know, uh, ages of kids. My kids are in the teens. Uh, my youngest is 11, um, uh-huh. and uh, my oldest is 23. But some of the other folks around here have two-year-olds, four-year-olds. Talk <laughs> talk about play. Um, we watch okay. these kids play, their imagination. You can see it firing. What What's going on to them developmentally as they're just on the floor playing? So what they're really doing, starting at about two, two and a half, is making things up, right? They're, they're using their imagination. They're, they're making up stories. They're using objects to be different things. So using a block to be uh, a building or a telephone. I mean, that's really beginning to use symbolism, to, hmm. to treat something as if it's something else. So they're, they're learning to tell a story. They're learning to have things pretend to be other things, and they're, they're role-playing as well. So they're taking on the views of other characters. Uh, so they're really doing a lot at this age and developing their imagination and learning to make things up from scratch, which is so important yeah. in later creativity. So, so they're really – this is where they learn to, to kind of – Take the place of others. See, see um, the world from another frame of reference or another exactly. view. Exactly. That's and, powerful. And also, they're, they're just the joy of making things up and, and making things. I mean, if you really watch children play, most children really enjoy it, right? I mean, they're, right. they're engaged and um, having fun. And in that sense, I mean, it's really interesting I think children are wired in some ways to play because kids in every society do it, all cultures, but also it's self-reinforcing. It feels good, and so they want to play more because it's a, a positive mood that, that they're experiencing and that they're engaged in. So just that joy of you know, making things up by themselves can carry over also. So the joy is creativity. The joy is this exactly. this essence of being a kind of a creator in their world. I guess it gives them power, right? And and right. and then they can. I mean, I, they can also jump around and probably, I guess, learn where wherever they're ready to learn. That's right. And the the idea of jumping around. I mean, their whole body is in it, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's all of them. So play really does involve the whole child. And for young kids, especially that you know motor development and 
and action is also involved in, in, in brain development as well. And so I think what is happening, although we don't have any evidence for it really yet, is that um, neurologically play is helping them. It's helping develop cognitive flexibility and areas of the brain important in creativity. But we don't know that yet hmm. because we haven't really looked. <laughs> yeah, I guess we're just probably just barely understanding the beginning of what's happening here. That's, that's right, in, in the brain, yeah. exactly. But we do know from lots of studies that children who engage in play and use their imagination in play are more creative in other, on other tasks. Mm. And that's really important because, you know, if we can see a child with good imagination in play, they probably are imaginative and creative in telling stories and in generating ideas on other on other tasks. So it, we can see that in play. Is it also, talk about what's happening to their emotional development. Maybe some of that is the neurological or the cognitive flexibility you were talking about. What's happening to them as they engage emotion into the play? So that's a really important question because um, children are expressing a lot of emotion in play. And if you just watch them, I mean, they're, 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 Having, they're making up stories about having fun or they're making up sad stories or they're making up stories about being chased by monsters. And they're in some ways acting out their fears and concerns and learning how to deal with it. So play is helping them process emotions. Hmm. Therapists have used play for years to help children deal with difficult stresses in their lives. And, and children naturally do this. They, they play things out. If they're worried about going to the doctor or having to go into the hospital, often they play it out hmm. and play doctor and play yeah. um, being in the hospital. I mean, they're, they're trying to learn to deal with the negative things in their lives, as well as, um, you know, having, having fun in the play. Mm-hmm. But I think Play is helping kids process emotions and get comfortable with emotions. Boy, yeah. Get comfortable with thinking about um, emotional issues. And I guess even practice it, right? I mean, they're practicing the emotion. They're pra- exactly. Because if they're role-playing, you know, oh, no way, the doggy died. Right, um, right, they, right. They're feeling the emotion. They go through even a, a process of acting it out. Right. They right, and and so it's kind of simulated emotion. Yeah. Right. Um, yes, and and so practice is really an important word in thinking about play because children are practicing um, uh, emotional issues or you know kind of um, having different ideas about things, uh, different ideas about people. Practice is is really what's going on. So they're not wasting their time. Right. You know, this is a really important uh, message, I think, for parents and teachers. Kids are not wasting their time when they're playing. They're really doing something that's important in child development. They're learning. We need to let them do it. Yeah. Do, um, do, I mean, I guess, too, there's probably a correlation to they're becoming more empathic. Yes. Uh, we have done some studies that have shown, that have found that kids who express, who are more imaginative, also score higher on empathy measures or are more pro-social 
in mm. the classroom. So we do have some studies that show that um, it, it gets into theory of mind issues. But yes, they can take the perspective of the other and 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 can understand the other mm. better. Is there yes. is is there a certain age um, where they they kind of grow out of playing, and or is there a certain range of of years that you're you're more likely to see them doing some of this role playing until they move out of role playing and move into something else? Right, about three to eight, three years of age to eight or nine. It depends on the child, and then uh, this kind of active play in childhood changes and it it evolves. Piaget thought and others thought into more fantasy, internal fantasy. Mm. And so the the 11 and 12-year-old is just not playing the same way that Mm -hmm. they did at 7. I mean, then other things take over, right? Sports and board games and and other kinds of play, but not pretend play. But it can develop into uh, writing stories or art or other more creative activities for the 12, 13, 14-year-old. In fact, um, I I remember getting to that age where it wasn't part of me still would have wanted to be playing with my toys, Uh, and part of me knew it's time to probably move on because others don't like that. That's right. That is right. Mm. That's right. (laughs) That's kind of sad, isn't it? Yes, it is sad. It is sad. But developmentally, it is what happens, and it's natural and and uh, yes, that's great. Um, is there as as we as we get into this? Well, let's maybe mm-hmm. take a break. When we come back, I sure. really want to have you teach us what we can do as parents because it seems like there's a lot we could do to participate and to even heighten some of the imagination and the opportunity for storytelling. We're going to continue uh, giving you some tools, parents out there, from Dr. Sandra Russ from Case Western University a great uh, scholar in the field of your children's play, their creativity, and storytelling. Powerful, powerful parenting skills. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We found an, uh, an incredibly interesting article um, in theconversation.com. Help your children play out a story and watch them become more creative. It was written by Dr. Sandra Russ from Case Western University. And I had to have her on the show to figure out how we can sit down and play. I mean, a lot of times I think our kids are playing, but we are either maybe irritated. They should be doing something else, we think. Why aren't they doing this? Why aren't they doing that? But there is so much hidden learning, development, growth that's going on in those play moments. That I think if we knew how impactful it was, we would probably feel more of a need to be present and watch it happen and see how your child's developing. So we've asked Dr. Sandra Russ to join us. Um, Dr. Russ, thank you again for being with us. Sure. It's very nice to be here. Talk about um, – I mean, it's uh, this is this is your child going through these stages in, of development, but you're also you get to witness how they see the world, their fears, their concerns, their personality. Isn't that what's coming out in play? 
It is. It is. And their imagination. And it's really important. I, I think it depends on the child's age as to how the parent is involved. So for young children, two, three, four, those children really want you to play with them. Right. So it's important for parents to sit down with them or sit down on the floor or wherever they are and really engage with them in in their play. Be in the tea party. You know, help 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 them make dinner on their play stove. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's important, too, that, that the parent, you follow their lead so you don't take over the yeah. story. Don't tell follow. them how to set the table. Exactly, exactly. Or that, you know, that soup has to be at, you know, really hot. I mean, you know, right. follow their lead. Um, for older kids, five, six, seven, they kind of want to be on their own more. And so don't intrude, you yeah. know, just kind of give, but as long as they have the time and the space, they need a space uh, where they can also play and toys. Yes. And, and I guess get them the appropriate toys as well, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Right. I mean, unstructured... Uh, blocks are great, clay, Play-Doh, mm. action figures, dolls. I mean, things that... Need a story. Yes, that need a story, that don't tell them how to do the story. Um, what do you think about what's happening with technology and some of these other things that might be delivering the story? So I think um, as some of that's okay, yeah. you know, but uh, as long as there's an... Ideally, the child would be able to participate actively in making up the story, that they wouldn't just be following along, so that their mind is active and mm. engaged. So I, that's one thing I would be looking for uh, as a parent, um, is the video game, is there room for the child to really make things up as well? Um, we, we did a study uh, where we looked at children's play going back from the mid from about uh, 1980, three or so to 2008. So we had about a about a 20 year period, and we had different play samples from children over this period of time. And we pretend play, you know, working with puppets and blocks, and yeah. and we we found actually an increase in imagination over that period of time. Hmm. Uh, and so their play was not getting worse. We we wondered about that, given computers and video and video games technology, but it did not get worse. In fact, the imagination got a little better. Wow! So I think that's an important message, also. You know, for our culture, uh, all of this technology is not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, it can be helping in a lot of ways, but for the parent of a young child, I'd I'd want to make sure the child had enough playtime with just normal toys as yeah. well. Yeah. And also that the technology would leave room for them to, to make up stories. Do, ch- do children, uh, if you put uh, two children in a room, maybe three mm-hmm. or four-year-olds, um, mm-hmm. and gave them enough, you know, like little fake kitchens or, you yeah. know, ch- child kitchens or whatever, would they, yeah. would they naturally, would do all children naturally start to play? Or are no. some just more reticent, not interested? So, some are. Uh, some children have trouble using their imagination. So, you know, if you're talking about a group like that, maybe some kids are just shy. They have a good imagination, but they can't let it out 
with, with other kids mm-hmm. who maybe have stronger personalities. So that's one thing. But there are children who just have trouble using their imagination. And we have been working to develop uh, programs to help these children develop more imagination. And we have found in a couple of studies that with a little bit of play guidance, uh, they can improve their imagination on other, on other tasks. And what we, what we find most helpful in, in, when we play with these children is that if we model pretending, hmm. if, we, if we take the, the Lego and have it, make it into a milk bottle because the, you know, the bear needs milk, if we model like that, the child catches on. And they're able, I mean, it is kind of like teaching them uh, to pretend. Yeah, But yeah. Modeling, modeling is really helpful. And that's something that parents and teachers can easily do with children who might have trouble uh, using their imagination. Mm. And because you could see that they might be able to, you know, function in society, be healthy in society. But yes. if they lack some imagination and some creativity, yes. it might impact their coping down the road. It might impact exactly. relationships, social skills. Exactly. And and we do know that children who use their imagination better are able to cope better uh, with life's stressors because they can think of more things to do hmm. yeah. when when tough things happen. So, um, so yes, it is to the, I mean, I see play as a huge resource for children and it's like giving them another tool. Yeah, I love it. Help them. Uh, and so I, we haven't talked about schools. Yeah. Yeah. Are schools helping in this? Are they hurting? Well, you know, playtime is being eliminated. Recess is being eliminated. And I, the teachers I talk to are really upset about that, and they know that play is important for young children, and yet it gets squeezed out. So we need to get play back into the preschools and into kindergarten, and even time for play in early elementary grades. Mm. Yeah, I mean, recess, but, but too, yeah. I guess, you because to me, um, play for children is learning. It's developmental. So it you could include it, it in as, a, as, a, as one of the classes we're going to work Ab- on. Absolutely. And there's a whole, you know, literature out there on, on play-based learning uh, for the classroom, which is a little different than what I've been talking about. But that, you know, yeah. using play to teach things because it's so natural for kids and it's how they learn and they take to it. Yeah. Yeah. We have about 30 seconds, um, Dr. Russ. Tell me what's what's one thing that parents can do, maybe even this weekend, the holiday season with our kids that that, you know, these younger children, I guess, that that could make a difference in their play. Uh, Play with them, bring out some boxes and Legos or blocks and and have them make something and make up a story. Mm. And ask them, make up the story. and Make up a story. And if they can't get started, say to them, well, let's make a story about going to a birthday party. Yeah. I'll be Joe, you be Mary. That's great. And, and get it started. Right. And easy, right? And easy, yes. And it doesn't take a lot of time. And you'll, you'll learn a lot about your kids. Absolutely. And, the, and it'll, it'll help your relationship. And if there's a teenager in the backseat, tell them to be quiet. Yeah, yes. Or <laughs> they can help. They're going to make fun of your other kids. 
Yeah, tell That's them good. that they did it when they were little. That's right. Well, we appreciate you. Dr. Sandra Russ, thank you for your great work. Uh, you can go find out uh, more about her work um, just looking her up on at Case Western University. But also she has a recent book out, Pretend Play in Childhood, Foundation of Adult Creativity. Remember, child is father to the man. And uh, we, how we teach creativity, imagination, how we kind of spark that a little bit, letting them make up stories, letting them play, it will determine uh, a lot, not determine, but it will impact a lot of how they move forward through life. Powerful stuff, folks, helping you see the good in the world. We will take a, rake, a break, come back, visit our good guys, our good brethren at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, BYU played a bowl game last night. If you missed it, uh, it looked a lot like a show at SeaWorld. <laughs> a lot of people squirting around. And uh, we wanted to visit our good friends down at BYU Sports Nation. I, th- I believe it's Jason Shepard today and Blaine Fowler. Are you there, guys? We are here. How are you today? Good. How are you guys doing? Hey. It's after a BYU bowl game victory. We're doing real well. You're doing awesome. Um, I watched the game and I thought, wow, poor Spencer and Jerem. They're not even going to get good weather down there. But it was a it was a hard game to watch for about four quarters, I guess, the entire game. You know what? Don't feel bad for those guys because <laughs> even though the weather was bad last night, for the week leading up to, I saw a lot of Snapchats and, and yeah. social media with them at the beach. Yeah. So they were, they were, were they at the beach? They were oh, just, come on. But but the the game was affected by the weather. I think BYU's passing game um, was definitely affected by a heavy and wet football. Mm. Unfortunately for BYU, Jamal Williams, the senior, was phenomenal in oh. that game with over 200 yards rushing again. Killed um, it. And carried the team. Did what did you think, um, Blaine, as a quarterback? Because uh, some interceptions w- w- and maybe not well thought through passes. From Tanner, or was that just football? Was that just a wet football? No, it's there were some bad decisions. I, I love you know Tanner uh, Spencer had talked to him after the game last night, and when when Spencer asked him about the touchdown throw, yeah, Tanner said, "Yeah, that was just not a really smart choice." He says, it's just, "Sometimes you just get lucky." He says, "As soon as I threw it, I thought, uh oh, that's oh not a good throw." And even though it was a touchdown, he immediately ran over to Ty Detmer on the sideline and said. Um, I, you don't have to say anything to me. I know that was not a good decision. <laughs> I know, decision. I know, I know. I know. Don't say anything. I know. That's and great. And so he, he made some poor decisions. Um, but every quarterback makes a poor decision or two in a, in a football game and a little bit of rust there in the decision-making. But the good news is fantastic skill set, and now he's got an entire offseason to be the guy yeah. and come in sharp and then a game against Portland State before he has to face LSU. See, mm. and, and, Matt, that's one of the things, and we'll talk about this on the show today. I, I, I'm un- – Understandably, it was under poor circumstances for Taysom Hill because he got hurt. Yeah. But I, I love the fact that Tanner was able to get some meaningful snaps and, and really three to four weeks of extra practice as the guy. Yeah, be the guy. This year, heading into the offseason, I think that will be – it wasn't the greatest performance, but I, I think that will help heading into the offseason. Mm. What do you think – because those conditions on the field – you know, create, it's dangerous and twisted ankles, broken knees, things can happen. But is what, what do you think about all these bowl, uh, not all of them, a couple of them that aren't these players that aren't going to play in the bowl games? It's an interesting thing. So, so last night I go home after BYU's bowl and my son-in-law is there 
been watching everything. Uh, he he is a Stanford starting strong safety. Oh wow! And and I said, Dallas, what, what do you think about Christian not playing? And we're talking about, of course, Christian McCaffrey, right? And uh, and he goes, you know what? The, the team really supports him in this. Uh, he, you know, fear of injury. You know, it's millions of dollars on the line right. from from all the projections I've seen. Christians. Maybe the third running back taken in the draft. That's probably first round. And so we're talking like tens of millions of dollars at risk. And I said, okay, so what, what if it was the Rose Bowl? Um, and, and then Dallas said, I think he would play in the Rose Bowl. I'm certain he'd play if we were in the national playoff. <laughs> yeah. and so I'm going to sit out the, the title the, the, the game, no that, worries. Yeah, the fact right. that, it's at the, that it's the Sun Bowl and Stanford's um, – their standard is so high right yeah. now yeah. that the Sun Bowl is kind of like an afterthought. It's interesting that his own teammates completely support him on it. They get it. If it were me, I would play. And I know Christian really well. I, I mean, I, I, I respect him. He's one of the nicest kids I've ever I've ever met, and he's a team-first guy. But having said that, I would play. I signed up for this season. Mm-hmm. The whole game's part of the season. However, on the other side of it, I understand the risk involved and why he doesn't want to play. Did you hear what Nick Saban said? And no, is that what, legit? What, what, did, what did, did Nick say? Nick, say? Nick Saban said, this is because when you all of a sudden prioritized a bowl series of the top games and made it a, made it a, a bracket, you told the other 38 bowl games they're not worth anything. That's why these players aren't playing. Wow, that's interesting. So I'd be interested. What's Nick in favor of? Like, I'm in favor of a 16-team playoff. They, right. they, do, it, they do it in the uh, FCS division. So why can't you shorten the regular season by a game or two? And, and play a national playoff, and and then Stanford would be in that. Yeah, and so, and so there would be there would be more games that had a big impact and mm-hmm. meant something. And you could be the team that's hot at the end of the year could win. It. Like USC might win the thing in that scenario. Right in that scenario, run See, the table. My, my initial reaction to it was, well, that's kind of cheap. You see, he's like cheating his teammates out of not playing. But the more I thought about it. Like Blaine was saying, I mean, there are millions and millions of dollars on the line, and one wrong move or the opposition take one late hit, and and oh. you could be jeopardizing it all. So I, I I actually came around to understanding that yeah, it's probably the right move. Yeah, and and with Christian this year, he's healthy now, but but he struggled. Um, a lot of the year with with some nagging injuries. If, if he's 100% healthy all year, they had to take him off of special teams, and that's where I think he's going to have a huge impact at the next level is returning kicks and punts and those kinds of things. They took him off of those teams, and he was limited with his running ability, and those were the games Stanford lost. Oh, yeah. So they might be in a national playoff if he was healthy. So I think he looks at that and goes, you know what? I've already struggled through injuries this year. I'm Oops. not going to risk it. Leonard Fournette, I mean, same thing. Yeah. Millions and right. millions of dollars at risk. And LSU's not in the... In the national title picture, yeah. so I mean, hey, Saban has a point. He's yeah. got a point, and and makes. I mean, every decision we make in college impacts every decision every student's going to make. Uh, really quickly, what's on the show? What's coming up? What should we be looking forward to? Obviously, it is a full recap of last night's uh, Poinsettia Bowl win over Wyoming. Uh, we will uh, get a, a wrap from Qualcomm Stadium. Spencer Linton, Jerem Jordan, and David Nixon will also hear from Tanner Mangum and Jamal Williams, who was just an absolute beast mm. last night. Plus, we're going to get to a lot of, uh, of tweets uh, from people uh, reacting to it. So it's going to be a fun show. Good we're stuff. And to by it. the way, guys, dry, I hope. Yes. I hope it'll be a dry show for you. Dry show. <laughs> Keep it dry. Uh, that's Jason Shepard and Blaine Fowler. you got to stay with them. Five minutes from now, they'll be uh, hosting BYU Sports Nation. Top of the hour. Don't want to miss it. Great stuff. Um, we've got only five more minutes to, to bask in the love that is 
the Matt Townsend show with all y'all. And you can't even wait those five more minutes to lean back and put your feet up. I know. I was about to put my feet up, but then I thought my chair would take You're off. already gone. Why don't you just say goodbye? We'll play music <laughs> for five minutes. We could play some of our favorite <laughs> Christmas carols. Uh, no, I'm not going to do that because that that's a cop-out. Speaking okay. of that, don't we have some more cop stories? I, do. I have a fake cop picks the wrong guy to pull over. Hey, if you're going to fake or pretend that you're a police officer and you decide you're going to pull someone over, make sure you don't pull over a real police officer. Busted. A fake police officer had bad luck when he pulled over a real one in St. Louis, authorities say. Police say Nicholas Keaton, 20 years old, was driving a Chevrolet Impala decked out with flashing lights and a siren when he pulled over a motorist, falsely claimed to be a Salt Lake police officer around 1230 a.m. Uh, last Thursday. Like, this is all according, by the way, to the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Unfortunately for Keaton, the man he pulled over was Andre Nikolov, a real St. Louis police officer, who was off-duty at the time. Police tell the Riverfront Times that Nikolov uh, called for backup and Keaton was arrested and charged with impersonating an officer. That has got to be the worst moment of your life. Oh, really? So what precinct are you in, Nicholas? Oh, the 3700th. Pardon? Um, really? Uh, are you on, you have a, what's your task? What's your, are you in a special unit or anything? I'm over sector B7. Oh, B7. B7. B- oh, you mean for bingo? Are we playing bingo, Nicholas? Is that what we're doing? Um, you were speeding. <laughs> Tased. Done. Tase it. And then Nicholas wakes up with cuffs on. Don't mess with St. Louis best. Hey, uh, our hero story of the day. It's a Christmas hero. Check this out. The guy just goes to have lunch, saves a man. Choking, by the way, I think on non bread. A man has been dubbed the Christmas hero after he saved a grandma's life as she choked on her lunch. Then days later, the same thing happened again. Matt Martin, 39, was eating a Christmas dinner with co-workers when he noticed a woman in her 90s choking on her steak. We'd not, uh, they hadn't gotten their food yet, he said, when I heard someone shout, hey, we need help over here, someone's choking. I heard another person call an ambulance. But they're in such a rural place, you know, it would take minutes, uh, a while for the ambulance to get there. So he ran over to the other end of the restaurant. Matt saw the elderly woman turning blue. And guess what he did? Heimlich maneuver, saved her life. You know, not a big deal. And uh, he had done it, apparently. I'd done an ambulance course for a work for his work about three weeks earlier, so he was ready on how to do it. He knew how to do the Heimlich Maneuver. Then, remarkably, four days after that, he saved another life. Out uh, clay pigeon shooting with his sons, Max and Ellis, he heard a man who was not feeling well, needed to stop uh, what he was doing. Fearing the man was having a heart attack, Matt stopped shooting, then went to the rescue. Once again, they were in a rural location. Matt called 999. And uh, the help, you know, came about 10 minutes later, but he used his skills to a basic uh, first aid to save the guy's life. In the space of four days, my husband was able to assist two strangers. Christmas is only a few days away, but it's been different this year because of the families you saved. That, my friends, is a hero. But the bigger hero might just be you paying attention to the people around you, playing with your kids, as we learned a few minutes ago talking to those that uh, that are needing some other attention, some help. Go check out your neighbors. Make sure that they're okay. Give, serve, do what you can. That's the Christmas spirit, isn't it? 
And that's us, folks. We're not back till the new year, but uh, just know we care about you, and we'll be back. Locked and loaded, tons of fun when we come back with the new year. Make it a great season, and uh, we'll talk in the new year.